And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and Kyle uh, take turns introducing each other to films, and uh, in this way, we catch up on our cinema. Uh, So it is the month of June, and we're doing a special event month uh, here at the show uh, that we're calling uh, Appreciating Peter Weller. No way. Appreciating. Yeah. Appreciating. Appreciating Peter Weller. Um, If you're not familiar with the actor, uh, Peter Weller... uh, kind of was a leading man in Hollywood. Uh, he had a pretty pretty big moment in the late 80s through the mid-90s, um, and he's still working to this day. Uh, he does a lot of voice work. As apparently, he was a huge component of the Sons of Anarchy television series. Um, and most recently, uh, he was brought in uh, to revoice uh, the character of Robocop, uh, which he originally breathed life into in 1987, of course. But uh, Robocop has been added to the roster of Mortal Kombat 11, and they were kind enough to scan in Peter Weller's likeness and allow him to do the, the voice work for the character, unlike Arnold Schwarzenegger, who apparently they couldn't afford. No, you cannot afford him. What's really weird, though, is that Arnold Schwarzenegger, they allowed him to be scanned into the game. So they they got his authorization to use his face and likeness. So he looks 100% photorealistic Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't get his voice. Mm-mm. And it's really weird. It's very jarring. However, uh, the Predator game, which recently came out, has does have Arnold Schwarzenegger doing the voice. Weird. So it's like, so it's like you can't tell me that the people developing the Predator game had more money to work with. There's no fucking way. I just think he's either too drunk or stoned these days to give a shit. He's just like, I did it for the video game, and like, no, Arnold's another. How much for? No, I can't do it. I think he probably just did it for one of them, and then they asked him to do another one. He's like, no, I'm not gonna do that. No, I have the answer. It, it was the COVID. <laughs> <laughs> it was the COVID. I'm very bored at home. I don't have anything to do. Yeah. I can I can record on my iPhone. Nobody's <laughs> buying supplements. No one's going to the gym. They don't need the supplements. <laughs> I hang out at home with my donkey. And I record my audio files on my iPhone and send it to the predator people. Chris Pratt keeps coming by my house. I want him out. Out. <laughs> he wants to wrestle all the time. He wants to hang out and stuff. He asks me questions about my movies. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it's like, don't tell the public Chris Pratt is bigger than me these days. I know you it's used to. embarrassing. You used to be fat and you got fit. You didn't get fit enough. <laughs> you, you're just a funny guy who got fit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, back to Peter Weller. So um, we're using this month uh, to take a take a look at the filmography of Peter Weller, um, kind of specifically like his leading man roles, of which there aren't too many, unfortunately. Um, I've always liked Peter Weller, and I can't really put my finger on why. Um, it's his voice. It's, I think it, so. I it's think his so. voice, and he's... He has, a, he has a strange look about him. He fits so perfectly into the sci-fi genre... Uh, he just he just has something strange about his face, uh, the way it's constructed. Uh, he could be a good guy or a bad guy, but sometimes he's he, or he's usually just the good guy. He's kind of like a Lance, like a better looking Lance Henriksen. Like they both. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They, they both have like kind of a like a like a deep kind of gravelly voice, and uh, yeah, Lance Henriksen. Lance Henriksen is just more menacing. Like he looks like a bad guy most of the time. Yeah, I feel like Peter Weller eased into bad guy roles as he's gotten older. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely, like Star Trek Into Darkness, he was very well cast in that role where he's like the shadowy, like 
starship commander guy. Mm-hmm. He's the admiral, basically, the evil admiral. And I saw it, uh, a Tony John Dolph Lundgren movie um, where he plays like a bad guy in there, I think. Oh, that could be and, fun. Yeah, it, it's a fun beat-em-up action movie. Uh, Michael Jai White's in there, too. <laughs> Shocker. And I think Ron Perlman as well. <laughs> uh, so everybody's here. <laughs> but, yeah, Peter Weller, though, like, when he was younger, he he has those, like, deep-set eyes and, like, like his skull is skeletal in shape. Like, he, like his skin feels like it's paper thin mm-hmm. or something. Like, but it's really interesting because, like you said, he has the look where he could go either way. Because, like, in the first RoboCop movie where you get a handful of scenes where he's not in the RoboCop suit, there's moments where he's like behaving like a normal dude and like smiling and laughing with people and he comes across as very very warm but then you know you have all the scenes where he's wearing the robocop suit and he has to play a fucking cyborg man and he does both capably but um speaking of robocop last week we covered robocop 2 uh, because kyle has kind of seen robocop 1 um that was really poor timing on our part i'm having trouble <laughs> so i just thought of that that is that is the greatest line like, it might be it, one of the greatest comedic beats in film history it's just perfect i mean 90 percent of comedy is just timing and that that's peter weller doing it in the right timing well the guy with the bullet in his head <laughs> right next to him yeah that's good dead guy acting on his that's part really good <laughs> but yeah last week we covered robocop 2 and uh this week uh we had intended uh, to cover of unknown origin however kyle was kind enough to point out to me that it does not exist on any streaming service for the, for the most part so we'll need to figure out a way to get to that one but in the interim uh we decided to do screamers uh, which is a movie i liked as a child however revisiting it maybe <laughs> i was <laughs> okay we, we were God. we were all dumb kids oh, at some point in our lives <laughs> okay real quick i would have went ahead and got of unknown origin i would have already got it on blu-ray or not blu-ray but dvd however i could buy it however i did just uh spend my uh my monthly allowance for a dvd on uh a mystery science theater 3000 volume one so yeah i'm i'm Going Slow full blast for you, sir. <laughs> I'm very excited to start that. Um, oh, as you should be. But yeah, I'm so glad you. This was a revisit for you. How? When's the last time you revisited this? It's been a while, Kyle. Okay, <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> I was really worried because I'm like, I'm gonna have to do this podcast. I'm gonna have to be nice. And like, Trevor really likes this movie. And I'm like, I was watching it. I'm like, what does he like about it? Like, what what does he hold dear about this movie? I'm like, the matte paintings are great. I fucking love the matte paintings. It's one of those things that I wish I could take it out of the movie and just have that. And just you can keep the rest of it. I just want to keep these matte paintings for myself. Because um, they're really great. But I, I feel better now knowing that this is not that dear to you. No. Okay. This is, this is not a sacred cow Whew. in my, my list of films. So feel free to tear into it. Oh, thank like. God. <laughs> <laughs> you just hear on the other end of the recording. <laughs> <laughs> let's take her up back and do the deed listen motherfucker i'm gonna tell you what i really think of robocop <laughs> hey robocop is a sacred you are not allowed to talk shit about robocop i haven't seen screamers it. however yeah oof. screamers we're probably both gonna have some do, nasty comments about i mentioned before we started recording uh you want to eventually tackle the lord of the rings movies and i uh i said that i needed to read the silmarillion first and i'm actually doing that now 
uh, it's dense and it's hard to follow along. This fucking scroll at the top of the movie, I'm like, wait, what the fuck is happening? It's a long scroll. I appreciate that they did that because if you were, I was thinking if you remove that scroll and just try to jump into this world, you'll have no idea what's happening because I was watching it and I'm like, I really don't know what's happening right now. Yeah, I, I think part of the reason why the scroll is so long is because, um, and I was telling you this before we started recording, I feel like the strongest elements of this movie have nothing to do with the movie. It's just the, the writing elements uh, that serve as the foundation for the movie. Mm-hmm. So not even the script, just like just like the basic outline that somebody wrote to flesh out the world and stuff. That That aspect of the movie is very fascinating to me. However, that's not really the movie. Mm. Um, that's just the concepts that it brings to the table. But that being said, I, I guess we should just uh, tear into it. Uh, <laughs> so Scream- Screamers from 1995, directed by Christian Duguay. Um, he isn't unknown to me. However, I did a handful. I did. I put in some minutes here, minutes <laughs> of, <laughs> of research about this film because uh, I did have some questions. And apparently he was a... Uh, like a photojournalist, mm. um, which makes sense because oh, there's yeah. a lot of traveling scenes and a lot of landscape shots in this mm. that are Look very good. artful. Yeah. They're very painterly. However, the dialogue scenes and the dialogue Oof. itself, I don't know if this guy's strong suit is drama. Um, maybe putting interesting images on the screen, there are some decent shots here and there, but not like actors are not his forte. I will give him the the sequence when we're going down into the basement. I didn't understand why we were going into the basement, but we we do that. Um, he does a, the way it's shot. It does really feel like like an enormous place. Like it doesn't look the same. It looks like uh, it's just done really well. I I did like that. Whoever did the location scouting also put their time in. Yes, sure. very much. Um, I believe this was shot in Canada, uh, mostly Shocker. in Quebec. Well, you can usually guess when you start looking. I'm like, I have, I don't know anybody else in this movie, and then you start looking at him like Quebec. I'm like, okay, this is a Canadian film. You just got to give me one Canadian actor. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fun, pa- the fun part about like Canadian sci-fi and horror, though, is that you get the fun Canadian accents and stuff on top of that, and this one doesn't have that. So mm-hmm. it's like that's a that's a strike against it for sure. Oh my God, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? I caught a couple in the void. I remember there was there was this. Oh, a, that is a very Canadian. There's a couple in there. We had to get out of here. <laughs> we got to do what? I thought the cult meeting was on Sunday. <laughs> after the bean, after the hockey match. <laughs> but this is directed by Christian Duguay, uh, based on a Philip K. Dick story by the name of Second Variety, and Philip K. Dick is, of course, very known to most sci-fi fans in that he gave us uh, Blade Runner to uh, Android's dream of electric sheep and mm-hmm. all that business, so um, this was kind of a big deal from a writing standpoint. And on top of that, uh, the script, I believe, was written by Daniel Bannon, uh, who is a sci-fi veteran for sure. Um, he's involved in countless uh, sci-fi products from this time period, like... He was involved in the production of Star Wars and Alien and Life Force, which oh. we covered on the show. Um, Star Wars a, is a, Star Star Wars is okay. Yeah, yeah. Star, <laughs> Star Wars, Wars is, is a decent film. Star Wars <laughs> is going to come up actually. There was somebody who was in Star Wars. Ah, yeah. Uh, be sure to point him out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, our, our film begins with uh, the crawl, which uh, Kyle had mentioned earlier, and I could not be bothered to write down most of this, mm. but. Basically, what you're supposed to know is it is now the year 2078. 
Um, there are two warring factions, uh, the NEB, uh, which I did not write down what the acronym means, um, but it's a uh, new economic block. Um, so basically corporates. So OCP from RoboCop. Yeah. <laughs> Space OCP and uh, the Alliance, which is supposed to be just Earth. Um, they've discovered a new resource called Berinium, um, and unfortunately the mining of it causes like mass radiation fallout, so any planet that you discover it on uh, becomes largely uninhabitable. Um, the events of the story take place on a planet where they found all this stuff uh, called Sirius 67B, and uh, the conclusion of the crawl here indicates that we're now 10 years into this war. Uh, so imagine a uh, as far as I understand, the original text, like the original Philip K. Dick story, just takes place on Earth and is about the Cold War. So just project uh, the USSR and mm. the United States onto these two factions. Um, so we're 10 years in. Uh, apparently the shooting has calmed down quite a bit. Um, and the, con the concluding line of this crawl is, a new, uh, Humanity now faces a new threat beyond imagination. <laughs> it's like, damn, that's a trailer line. And then we get a... Some uh, really weird CGI titling. <laughs> yeah. 1995 CGI titling, but not the good kind. Oh, this is one of the greatest 90s movie trailers I've ever seen. Uh, it, with the voice and all the action in there. Uh, he lives in this world, and it's worse than hell. It's home. <laughs> like, oh, my, oh <laughs> man. This is, Steph was even, I'm like, do you want to watch this with me? She's like, let me see the trailer. She was watching the trailer. She's like, that looks pretty stupid. I'm like, yeah, all right. It looks like fun. She's like, I'm, I'm going to pass. But, yeah, it looks like fun. Yeah, I, I remember the trailer for this when it aired on television. And it did look like a lot of fun. Um, much more fun than the film we got, which is actually very dour and depressing for the most part. It is aggressively boring. <laughs> aggressively boring. aggressively boring <laughs> ouch um that's damn uh so yeah uh, basically we get this uh digital font displaying the title of the film uh, we hear a screaming sound and then we get this like s cgi disc slices the title mm -hmm. in half <laughs> oh i was like i was like oh yeah i, I never get upset or like I, you can make fun of it of course but it, it's not something that bothers me i like i actually like seeing it i'm like let's see the cgi what, what's going on with the cgi in the 90s well it's it uh to quote mission impossible uh, max um, it's like a warm blanket <laughs> anonymity it's a, it's like a warm blanket um bad cgi in the 90s is like a warm blanket mm -hmm. for for people of a certain age range it's like we know we all know it's bad but it's like cozy bad. Mm -hmm. It's like, man, I remember when think this was acceptable. <laughs> like, acceptable, yes. <laughs> you knew it wasn't very good when you were younger, but you didn't know how to to understand that. Could you imagine if you watched Mortal Kombat in its time, and then somebody showed you Avatar? You, your fucking nose would bleed. Like you wouldn't even know what to do with yourself. Like what the fuck would I just see? Yeah, you just hear <laughs> start bleeding from the nose. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've been saying that for a long time, actually. Like, I wonder what it's like to be a kid and have a PS4 be your first console. That's insane. How could anything impress you beyond that? You can't. No. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can't. You can't go back and watch Blade Runner, like the original Blade Runner. Like, what the fuck? This is stupid. Or watch the Jurassic Park. There was a girl that I worked with who was like in her early twenties, like twenty-one or twenty-two. She's like, I watched Jurassic Park. It was fucking stupid. I'm like. 
oh my god like you're the worst kind of person you're like, clock me out jim i gotta it, take this girl out back and tell her what's what <laughs> it's like, this is gonna be a while put on a pot of coffee it just it looks so fake i'm like no it did not it did not look fake <laughs> again enough with the clown enough with the clown <laughs> oh um, yeah yeah, so uh, the production logos here, well, not logos, but the titles, like the, the names of the companies, make it known that this, despite being only a modest $20 million picture, um, was apparently financed internationally. So they had investors from Japan, Canada, and abroad. Like, a lot, a lot of people paid some, like, tossed a couple chips their way, and they still didn't have enough money, <laughs> so that's not good. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, Kyle, have you ever seen Titan AE? Mm-mm. Uh, Supernova is a movie I've threatened you with many times on this show. Um, it's a James Spader as a badass oh. space captain. Okay. And, yeah. It's like the one movie he did when he was in shape. <laughs> he was tough turf. He was in shape, in shape, but I'm, I'm with you. Okay. Well, he's supposed to be like a, a brooding badass. In it. Oh, and, really? Yeah. It's, and it's a historically troubled production. He's he's really grown on me. Uh, I love James Spader. He's, he's a good asshole. He's he, the best kind of asshole. <laughs> his Robert Cal like I didn't like him before, and then I saw him do Robert California. It was one of my favorite characters from The Office now, because uh, he's just fucking brilliant. Um, but that kind of cleansed the palate for me. I'm like, okay, I can I can do some James Spader now. I still won't do James Woods. Fuck that guy. Okay, that's fair. But I think the first time I saw James Spader was Seinfeld, and he made me laugh when I was a kid. Cause oh, he, that's powerful. He, I think he like, I think he falls off the wagon or something. Mm. He's work. He's working at an ice cream parlor, and he gets sauced, and he climb. He climbs into the the freezer, <laughs> like like he climbs into the serving tray. <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna Google that so I have it. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, so the reason I bring up Titan AE though is that uh. The color palette of this CGI spacescape made me think very much of Titan AE, which is uh, not the best movie. Um, apparently, it sunk a lot of people's careers and it had a lot of money thrown into it, but uh, I just thought I'd bring it up just in case you'd seen it. Anyway, uh, the score kicks in here, and um, apparently it's composed by a fellow by the name of Norman Corbail. Um, not familiar to me at all. The score is... It waffles between being pretty good to not very good at all. It reminded me a little bit of Terminator 2. The I don't know what it was. like. Kind of There's like a synth thing going on a little bit. I don't know. Uh, and kind of the tone. It just kind of reminded me of Terminator 2. God, I want to watch that movie. <laughs> you say that every week. Guys. I just haven't itched it yet. I haven't itched that scratch. Just put it on in the background and never turn it off. Just leave it I'll on explain. <laughs> I'll explain off air how difficult it is to watch movies, but keep going. Okay, well, you should you should build yourself an EdTV setup just so you can always have one eye trained on the Terminator. <sighs> My dog barks at our roommate and her dog every time they walk down the hall. So when we're trying to watch a movie in the evening, she just starts barking. And it's really annoying, and it stresses Steph out, so we have to go lay down to watch stuff, which is on a laptop. And I'm not watching Terminator on a laptop. What's wrong with Wolfie? <laughs> I can hear him barking. I told the kitty, you were that fucking mutt. <laughs> Shut up, you piece, piece of shit. shit. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, we, we descend into the atmosphere of uh, Sirius 67B which is 
a desert planet for the most part, but not quite, because uh, there is a lot of radiation, and we get actually a wide range of climates here. Mm-hmm. Um, troubling, troublingly wide range of climates, uh, seemingly from like 50 feet apart from each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, we descend into the atmosphere, and we get, uh, funny enough, a Terminator 2-esque shot of a foot falling into the frame. Yep. That's very similar to the T-800 um, endoskeleton stepping on the skull. Um, but it's just an ordinary foot, unfortunately. Um, but put a pin in that. I mean, Terminator is something you should keep in mind when yeah. you're watching this. Yeah, keep that in mind, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then we uh, descend down into a, a rusty pillbox, and uh, we come across a handful of soldiers. They're all gambling for cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody, um, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but uh, pretty much everybody has blue lips, um, which I thought was a nice little production detail. Um, I want to say it's supposed to signify that everybody has a little bit of radiation sickness, mm. or maybe the maybe the things that they smoke to stave off the radiation causes that. Mm. Um, also, it's cold out, but pretty much everyone has blue lips. Um, and uh, anyway, the, the guy who loses the current hand, um, he uh, spots an enemy soldier coming over a hill on one of their like security monitors. And uh, they use some binoculars to check it out. And uh, it's kind of interesting seeing everybody not spring into action. Like They're not like hustling too much, but you can tell that it's been a minute since anything's happened. So everybody's like, ooh, I get to do something? Cool. Um, and we get uh, the first of many, many, many very beautiful matte paintings in this film. Um, this, funny enough, the first one's not very good. I was gonna say this person. was my <laughs> this was my least favorite of the matte paintings. Yeah, I think it has to do with the blue screening because uh, it's it's like daytime and like mm-hmm. the sun is shining and like you can see the compositing line. Like he has a, a black halo around him where you can tell it's not a seamless uh, composite. Um, Anyway, we get this matte painting of him, uh, of the soldier climbing over a hill and seeing uh, the facility where all these soldiers are hunkering down. And uh, we hear a lot of dialogue amongst all the soldiers chattering of like all the hows and the whys of how the soldier got here. And uh, we have a little bit of an argument over who gets to cap him. Um, reminded me a little bit of like Jarhead, where mm-hmm. it's like they're bored. They're really fucking bored. And <laughs> this is an opportunity to do something. Um, and then we get our first uh, screamer attack, Kyle. And do you remember some of the details of this? Yeah, it reminded me of Tremors a little bit. Uh, actually, the the lady that's in there, she's like, "No, nah, I'm gonna shoot this dude." Um, and this guy's just kind of like running around. He doesn't realize what's out there. Um, it's like these—they're not as big as Tremors. Uh, I'd say the it's about mm, four inches long. I'd say a wide and like just kind of coming up from underneath the sand in there. It's making a noise. Um, hence the term screamers. Um, but these things, uh, I, I was under the impression that they were little creatures, but it's actually these tiny little robots with blades on them. And, uh, it ends up like slice. There's one good, like slicing of the leg, I think is what it was. It's pretty good. Like it's, it's a nice little practical effect. I think this sequence may have been a huge contributing factor to me liking this movie when I was young. Cause you need to remember I saw Tremors before this, and I was obsessed with Tremors. Like mm. I, to this day, adore that film. I think it's fantastic. Um, I I love it. Um, Kyle's making a face. I'm guessing he disagrees. No, I watched it. <laughs> I watched it for the first time a couple of years ago. Oh uh, well, uh, yeah, that probably hurts a bit. Um, yeah. At the time, the novelty of like having a genuinely funny script and like good creature effects 
in in that kind of movie it was it's a throwback movie it's it's just a b movie but with some pretty good actors like really selling the material we were kind of doing that though eight-legged freaks was along those lines where it was supposed to be like a comedy that was like that was like 10 years later was it I thought Tremors it was... was like ninety three or something. Oh yeah, Eight Legged Freaks was like I thought Eight Legged Freaks was like ninety eight. Uh, it had David Arquette. There was a fucking window, dude. You might be right because I think that was when he had the WCW title. <laughs> yes, David Arquette did in fact have the WCW championship. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> Ready to Rumble. Yeah, I really like. Oh, it was two thousand two. Wow. I've never seen Ready to Rumble front to back. Oh, I know you and I both love Oliver Platt, so if you mm-hmm. wanted to watch it sometime, I would. I would be down. Oh, I would do a Platt month for sure. <laughs> Fucking a man. <laughs> um. Anyway, the sequence uh, is one of the only like truly violent scenes in the movie. There, there aren't too many gore sequences in this, but uh, this guy gets fucked up pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, he kills a handful of the screamers, so he's, like, shooting these little, like Kyle said, they're, like, no more than, like, six inches long. They're pretty tiny, but they they crawl up under the ground, and they spray dirt everywhere as they move towards you, and they make a horrible screaming sound. And he, he shoots, like, four, like, three or four of them, so he's, he puts up a fight, but then he gets desperate. I think he's trying to reload, and he doesn't have any time. And uh, he puts his hand up, and he has a cylinder, and he just kind of, like, screams. And uh, we get a screamer jumping out from the ground and it it flies into his forearm and it lops his arm off um and then another one flies out at his his leg near the kneecap and it just yanks his leg off (laughs) um and like in rapid succession it's like oh fuck (laughs) like that that guy got got and uh sure enough he falls down on his face and uh we get a lot of pov shots during this sequence you know terminator vision or robocop vision whatever predator vision along those lines and uh yeah, one of these screamers just like runs into his face, and uh, we don't get to see the result, but you could do the math, uh, being as these things seem to be comprised of approximately like eighty percent buzz saws. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it just ran into his face, and then uh, we cut back to the people in the pillbox, and uh, one of them kind of gags a little bit. They don't they don't spit up all the way, but they they do uh uh-uh, like face. Oh, one dude pukes. Oh yeah. He pukes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, he steps out of the frame and he pukes. Awesome. <laughs> um, and then there's a, a little bit of exchange of dialogue here where uh, uh, the guy who pukes says, uh, I thought those things were on our side. And uh, the woman, she replies, and our side's the good side, right? So you can tell that morale is just in the shitter. Like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. nobody gives a fuck. Everybody's very apathetic. Um, and then uh, we get introduced to Chuck who in my notes I described as looking like a older, fatter marriage of Vincent D'Onofrio and Jim Belushi. I thought he... I don't know the actor's name. He's in... Um, or Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I, I'm comfortable with that. Comfortable he has with, the hair. Yes, I'm comfortable with Bruce Springsteen, yes. He's an older, fatter Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah, most of the actors, minus Peter Weller in this movie, are um, generic brands of other actors. And I think I have one for everybody else. The girl, I can't wait till we get to her. I have I have her. Uh, she, She's an unfortunate actress, I want to say. Um, I I have that uh, Nightmare on Elm Street documentary. I, I still say you. I know you're not a huge fan of slasher movies or those kinds of movies in particular, but I love that first Nightmare on Elm Street. That documentary is 
fantastic mm. um it's like eight hours long and it goes over everything related to that franchise um but she was in uh, the dream warriors the third one mm-hmm. um, which arguably is the best one um most people tell you it's the first one the third one's really? pretty fucking fun though um has john saxon he's back <laughs> hey everybody i'm back and I brought my box of toupees. <laughs> but she's in there, and uh, in her interview, she has this tone about her where you can tell she's just like the life truck just backed over her or something. <laughs> well, it's because there was two act- actresses in my mind that uh, took every single one of her parts. Um, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the last thing I'll say about that is that she had a complicated makeup effects uh set up for her death in that movie mm. and it failed mm. so it didn't make it it didn't make it into the film because <sighs> they only had one shot to get it right and they show the test footage and you get to see it bomb so she's like the only actor in in that whole movie that doesn't get a, a grand send-off and it's like, that sucks that's gotta suck <laughs> like if that's your claim to fame like your big role <laughs> and you don't even get to die right in a slasher movie even that's kevin bacon got to die right <laughs> like Anyway, uh, Chuck, he comes in, and he's basically, like, the number two around here, mm-hmm. uh, I guess. I, I don't know. Rankings are kind of fuzzy here, but he's number two. Yeah, there, doesn't, there just seems to be people who work and people who don't, and he's one of the people who almost doesn't work. <laughs> I'm the guy who does his job. Yeah. You must be the other guy. He's the other guy. <laughs> so yeah, Chuck comes in, and uh, he has a casual line about the Screamers uh, saving their asses in this war. Um, so right off the bat, it's communicated to us that uh, we have a little bit of maybe fear of these things, but at the same time, they've they've helped us out in some way. Um, but yeah, Chuck, he comes in, and he also uh, is sporting a, a colorful wristband um, that is explained to us a little later, but it's a nice little detail that he's he and everyone else here are wearing these. And it's just a, a red light and a green light. Um, red light, green light squeeze it together and it blows up um <laughs> anyway he goes out uh, to take a look at this dead body uh, because they point out that the guy was holding something like he had a cylinder of some sort that he looked like he was trying to communicate before he got you know ganked um and as he marches out there uh we get to see uh the severed leg get sucked in a hole like straight into the earth uh which is troubling <laughs> and then the rest of the body gets sucked down too um, so I can see why you'd be thinking these were going to be critters of some sort, uh, like uh, all of Tremors. Um, and then uh, Joe, uh, Chuck actually has to kill a screamer because it, it grabs hold of the arm that he's going for because it's still holding the cylinder, and he has to shoot it to stop it from sucking the arm down into the earth. Um, and then we get a close-up of it, and it, it reads, uh, cru- Crucial to Alliance Commander. So it's apparently a communique, a communique of some sort. And uh, then we get introduced to Peter Weller uh, via a very, a very eccentric moment in the film that I want to say Peter Weller had some bearing on how the sequence went down, um, because if you glance at his Wikipedia, um, he's very into European history, in particular Italy. And uh, yeah, uh, our introduction to Peter Weller in this film is a, an overhead shot looking down at him, looking up at a uh, a. It's, it's it's an Augustus Caesar coin, and he has a, a loop, like a jeweler's loop, in his one eye, and he's looking up at this coin, and the camera does this, like, 
complicated crane motion down to the floor just as Chuck is coming in. Oh, yeah, and by the way, he's listening to fucking opera. He's listening to fucking Mozart. Um, so I want to say Peter Weller had some say in, in how he would be introduced into this film. Um, but yeah, the, the piece of music is apparently Don Giovanni. And uh, did you note that he has a weird pyramid on his desk that does nothing? It, he just has a pyramid on his desk. <laughs> I didn't notice a pyramid. It, I mean, he the coin he's looking at, and it may, it's, it's Caesar Augustus, and it has a sphinx on it, and he has a pyramid on his desk. Maybe he has a thing for Egypt and, and Caesar. I, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, he almost smashes the cylinder when it's handed to him because he can't open it. So maybe he's maybe he's really bored and frustrated to the point that he's just like whatever I don't give a fuck. Um, then we get a little bit of a jump scare as a uh, a message pops out of the cylinder and it makes us it makes a sound effect very akin to uh, Wayne Knight in Jurassic Park uh, handling the Barbasol can <laughs> that squee noise that he makes. Oh. <laughs> the yeah. I always thought that that sound came from the can itself. It. But- but, the way it link, the way it syncs up, I know what you mean. I I thought so too. I just thought it was strange. Like, wow, that sounds like it's coming from the can, but it's not. It's him making the noise. I always thought it was the can, but then like upon rewatching it like a year ago or something, I was like, that fat son of a bitch did that himself. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how does he make noises like that? Oh, Wayne Knight is a gem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope he's still working. I don't even know. He's probably doing something. I'm sure he is. I mean, he's a valuable resource. <laughs> um, I mean, probably the last time I saw him was Punisher Warzone, I want to say. I say that's the last time I've seen him. You're that. Or, was he on uh, How I Met Your Mother? Mm-mm. He was on one of those like later down the road sitcoms. Probably Big Bang Theory, if I had to guess. Oh, fuck. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, we take a look at this message under like an electronic microscope of some sort, and it turns out to be a notice like calling for peace negotiations. And uh, Chuck notes that it's like, hey, Joe. Uh, Joe is Peter Weller's character, by the way. Chuck and Joe. Fuck, man. <laughs> like, do better when naming your characters. Like, right. Like, the, I think you need to strike a balance when it comes to naming characters. Like, you, you got to be careful, because you need to make them distinctive, but not overly overly flowery or, or creative. Because, like, I always thought it was funny that RoboCop, you have names like Clarence Boddicker <laughs> as, as, like, a gangster in there, like a cokehead gangster. And it, it's like, what? But then alongside that, you have Dick Jones. <laughs> and this, you have Chuck and Joe. <laughs> in space um but yeah uh, chuck is pretty excited he's like hey this could be what we're waiting for and joe's like what have we been waiting for chuck um again signifying like the the general air of apathy that that's going on in this in this planet in this scenario um anyway uh we get a notice that there's like a ship incoming into the atmosphere put a pin in that um we'll revisit that in a bit um, and it, as it so happens, this message also includes like schematics for the essentially the enemy headquarters, um, like an entire map layout and everything. So like Chuck is hopeful in that you know maybe this could mean that hey they're like kind of like laying themselves down bare, saying like hey we're we're open to talking with you guys. We're not gonna we're not gonna gank you. We're not gonna fuck you over. Um, Anyway, we cut to a, a mat, and it's now 
snowing outside. Um, this this matte painting looks much better than the first one. Yeah, this and is a good continues matte painting. the trend. Yeah, this continues the trend of much nicer matte paintings. Um, there's one in particular in this movie I think is the best one. The the pink, uh, it's like a pink and purple sky, like a sunrise. Mm. Um, I'll point it out when we get to it. Um, but uh, we have a meeting here with what I I assume is like a commanding officer of some sort. Uh, the character's name is Officer Green. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just like march into this meeting room and then he comes through this like sliding door here and uh, he communicates to us uh, some business here about he basically confirms that hey we're in peace talks and uh, apparently there's another planet called Triton 4 where we've discovered more beryllium and we're going to be signing a peace treaty with the NEB because like there's no reason to fight over the planet you guys are currently on this is this guy's from Star Wars. He's the general that gives him the pep talk before. Uh, I think it's before the Battle of Hoth. Oh yeah, yeah. I I can picture him now. Um, but the way they have him framed, it's like, you guys remember Star Wars, right? You like Star Wars. Do you guys know that he's from Star Wars? Because they like they really hold on him for a long time for this. Uh, they don't really. They do like like one. Like one shot of Peter Weller's face while he's taking in this information. Usually, you move around the room a little bit, but no, it's just dead on this guy the whole time. Yeah, it's like he's a supposed to be like a big name cameo or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, is that motherfucker from Star Wars? Is he in Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> Who is it? Okay. No, you have to say that after he leaves. It's like, is that guy in Star Wars? <laughs> you get it wrong. You're like, was he in Star Trek or Indiana oh, Jones or something? Yeah. I, think I don't he was know. on Land of the Lost. <laughs> but was he in Chips? I know, I, <laughs> what they should have done was they should have had him come in with a with a uh, a winter coat, like a, a fuzzy a fuzzy hooded coat, mm-hmm. like he like he wore on Hoth. Yeah. <laughs> it's like or just wear the exact same costume. It's like yeah, we stole this from the back lot. And it's like gotta have it back by noon, <laughs> Ed Wood style. Um. But yeah, uh, as it so happens, this uh, Secretary Green fella is in fact a hologram. And uh, this is a a cute little detail that if the effects were better, maybe it would have been more charming. But it's basically just like trying to point point out the fact that, hey, it's the future. And we have future stuff in our future movies. So Mm -hmm. basically it's a a pre-recorded message that glitches out a bit. And he starts to like fade into like electronic static. And Peter Weller has to like basically like throw a shoe at the tv to, <laughs> to get it to work right and uh then the message concludes and uh we cut to a bar um, where oh. apparently we fill up some glasses of something or other and we actually get a decent effect shot here where um i really like the uh the wall that they walk through did you did mm. you notice that kyle no so they're they're filling up their drinks and then they turn around and there's a it's a electronic projection and it has like a honeycomb pattern to it and it's it's an entire wall but it's just a it's just a projector screen but there's no physical screen and they just walk through it and we transition the camera pushes through it as well um so it's like it's like a room divider but it's nothing but an electronic projection and then when we get into the room we see that the other side of it is literally like a whole bunch like a whole row like an entire wall of tvs essentially but mm. in like a honeycomb pattern so it's it's cute it's an interesting little design element um then we do the you know 
future war chat where we talk about what we'll do when we get back home. That's it's all like boilerplate kind of bullshit. Not nothing fancy here. Also, everybody um, is smoking like crazy in this movie. Yeah, did that give you the urge? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was right there. <laughs> oh, um, by the way, I, re- I rewatched the Ninth Gate the other day. Did you? Um, yeah, I I I wish I had sat down to actually watch it, but there was um there was a time a couple months ago where I was playing computer games and I was just putting on movies in the background mm-hmm. and I put on Ghost Rider, um, which I want to say is also a Roman Polanski movie. Ghost Rider? Also, I want to say. Um, Nick Ewan Cage, McGregor. Ghost Rider? Oh, no, uh, Ghost, Ghost Rider. I'm like, uh, Kyle, you're, Polanski? you're bringing me back to my childhood of when Ghost Rider was on TV. Mm-hmm. I used and to every watch time, it. Every time the f- Ghost Rider, <laughs> every time the fucking kids would say it on the playground, we'd always have to pause and confirm, like Ghost Rider or Ghost Rider. <laughs> is that any good? It is Polanski, I, by the way. I think it is. I just I didn't really watch it. I just had it on the background, and then I kept glancing over, and I was like, "Hey, I'm getting a Ninth Gate vibe." And then I I bothered to look it up halfway through the runtime, and I was like. Oh, wait, it is, it's basically the same movie. <laughs> hmm. And I want to go back and like actually watch it now. Um, and yeah, I put on the ninth gate and I it kind of did the same thing except for I knew when to look up because you know, obviously we've we've seen that one. Um, and yeah, it's still breezy fun. Like I don't know what it is watching Johnny Depp walk around and smoke. <laughs> look at books and smoke. For the some movie. reason it just works. <laughs> it just works. <laughs> it's entrancing in some way. I don't know. Anyway, uh, notice how we're talking about everything but the movie. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we also get a like lip service paid to uh, Joe's situation in his previous life before the war, and apparently he has a wife or something, but he's horribly estranged from her. Um, I could not bother to give a fuck, um, nor, nor could the movie, apparently, because <laughs> we, we pay lip service to it later on, but it really doesn't matter. It does not matter. Um, and then we get a, another cute little detail here. We get a radiation alert where all the screens in the room and there's like a alarm that goes off in the bar uh, that just calls out like radiation alert, light your shit up. Um, uh, basically, we have these red uh, cigarettes um, that apparently whenever there's like waves of radiation within the atmosphere, you're supposed to smoke one of these red cigarettes to prevent radiation from fucking killing you, uh, which is, you know, a cute idea because it... What really sells it is how ordinary it comes across. How it's like, you know, it's it's a an entire bar full of people smoking and drinking and stuff, and then this alarm goes off that, you know, for you and I would be troubling or, like, startling in some fashion. All these people, it's old hat by now. They're just like, whatever. Um, anyway, we're just trying to drive home the point that this war's been going on too fucking long. Uh, and then there's a crash. Uh, so remember that spaceship that I, I said was incoming? It's arrived, um, but the pilot... Dunn got drunk or something because he crashed. <laughs> when it crashes and they go out to the crash site, it looks like it had crashed two weeks ago and they set the fires again. They're like, it's on fire again <laughs> because it is too perfect of the way it's set up. <laughs> Elaine, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, it, I agree with you very much so. Like, it's hard not to notice that, yeah, I they built a practical set mm-hmm. like, this is obviously an actual aircraft of some sort that's dressed up to look like a spaceship but it's been sitting out in the sun for a minute yeah. <laughs> this does not look like a fresh crash at all uh, it's not like alien 3 where it's like all wet and chaotic and yeah it looks like a fucking crash like that's that's a good set dressing 
this is a $20 million set dressing where it's like, oh, I guess that's what we got. Um, by the way, there's apparently a lot of septic tanks out in front of <laughs> this, <laughs> this army base. God damn but, it. I'm just thinking, I'm thinking back to the opening, the opening credits of Alien 3. I fucking love the opening credits and the, the, first, the first little bit of that movie. <laughs> we got to get you watching more Mamoru Oshii. I'm telling you, every time I think of that editing style, I think of him. Did he, Michelle guy. did he edit that? No, of course not. <laughs> okay. oh. But that he also, I mean, he he has a lot of references to American sci-fi in his movies. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he had stuff like that in mind. Where he's like, hmm, that David Fincher guy seems to know a thing or two about making movies. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Shuichi, Ka- what's his name? Uh, Mamoru Oshii. Uh, he did Ghost in the Shell. As the editor or cinematographer? No, he's the director. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about somebody in particular. No, okay. No, no. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll have you rewatch his stuff. You know, uh, August isn't that far off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there might be a lot of gore in this anime, August. Okay, if that's what you're asking for, I can serve that shit up. Serve it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was born in it. I was born in this. All right. Uh, so, yeah, the spaceship has crashed, and... uh. It turns out to be a troop transport of some sort, and we discover that they're carrying weapons and apparently a nuclear device of some sort. Uh, and there is only one survivor, and he sucks. It's um, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Marky Mark. Uh, if the, Marky Mark was in this, th- that would actually make the movie a lot more entertaining, I think. This is actually kind of an important moment for later. So they have this one person that's down there, and he's like asking, he's like, help me, please help me get out of here. He's like kind of stuck. And uh, he's like kind of reaching underneath, but yeah, just just remember that he's doing that. Yeah, just remember that. Put a pin. In It'll pay off big time later. <laughs> so I uh, we do free him. So we have to like cut him free from like some wires or just some structure that's holding him down. Um, and he almost gets his ass killed uh, because like the the firefighters and all the people they come out there and they're trying to escort him back into the base and they're in a hurry. But he shrugs them off because he wants to go back for like a spacewalk man that he had with him. A space I'd want that man. too. He's like Star Lord cool. with that shit. Yeah, I'd want it too. And it's pretty cool. Um, we'll see exactly what it is later. But it, it, from our perspective, it just looks like a Walkman. Mm-hmm. Um, but he runs back to the crash site and he's digging around in there. And uh, the screamers come after him. Uh, they want his ass. Um, however, instead, they settle for a corpse nearby. And this, when I was a kid, I remember being kind of creepy. Or basically, it takes the, it takes a corpse nearby him and just like, just like grinds it down into the ground. Mm-hmm. And it's just this like fidgeting, like spas, like spasming corpse that just gets sucked down into a hole to the pits of hell or whatever. And as a kid, it's like, oh fuck! <laughs> like, well, I don't even know what that is, but I don't want it. Um, and then we get a shitty uh, blue screen effect of a screamer jumping at him. Um, so it jumps out from the ground, and Peter Weller shoots it before it can get to him. And then we crossfade to uh, Peter Weller dissecting uh, said screamer. Um, and he pulls he pulls a little device like a doohickey off its circuit board, um, and he flips it over, and he notes that the, the chip on this thing has the word revised uh, scrawled on it. Um, what that means, I guess we'll learn a little bit later. Um, but he's very curious about this thing, um, and we're trying to figure out why. 
Uh, meanwhile, uh, the survivor from the crash comes in. Uh, he's escorted into the office, and we learn that his name is Jefferson. Apparently, he's a good soldier, but he's also a rookie, so he's never actually soldiered. <laughs> like, he um, reminds me of John. Is it John Barenthal? Is that his name? Oh, John Bernthal? No, Bernthal. Yeah, he just reminds me of John Bernthal a little bit. Not not his character, like the way he acts, but just his just his face and hair. It looked like a, a role he could have done. A little bit. However, like I have a theory about John Bernthal, and I want I Kyle, I want you I want you to keep this in the back of your mind. Try your best to hold on to this next time you see him in a movie. Because hmm. I I've noticed this and I think it's a consistent thing in every performance he's ever given in his fucking life. <laughs> John Bernthal does a thing where, with his tongue and his lips. In between lines, he always like does like the Joker. Like, yeah, he just he flicks his tongue out and he wets his lips before he starts talking. Weird. And he also does he also does a thing where he like looks out of the corners of his eyes a lot. He has, he has like shifty eyes. Like when he's getting confrontational with people, he gets shifty eyes, and then he licks his lips a lot. <laughs> he, he's the 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 guy who's playing this little. I just called him Grunt. Um, it's like you took John Barenthal and then Leland Orser and just like mashed them into two, like just mashed them into one. Leland Orser, big time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got a very strong vibe of that, um, particularly actually from the character Ross in this movie, um, the more fidgety guy with the glasses. Um, but this, but this guy, yes, from a physical standpoint, yeah, he looks like Leland Orser. Also, I don't know the actor's name, but um, you haven't seen Starship Troopers, have you? No. Fuck, I'd, I'd like you to. Um, my brother, my, all these sci-fi movies from the 90s and 2000s that I haven't seen, my brother watched, and I just had no no desire to watch any of them at the time. Uh, I think it's very much worth your time. It's okay. also a Paul Verhoeven movie. Okay. It's in the desert, though. That's why I haven't I haven't visited. I haven't I haven't actually pulled the trigger on. It. I was like, I just don't want to be in the desert. I just don't like <laughs> desert movies. Well, sorry, I gave you a desert movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a little but, different, though. Anyway, there's a character in that uh, named Xander who has basically the exact same haircut as this guy, mm. um, and I can't help but like. There's some overlap in my memory of these movies. Um, anyway, this character's name is Jefferson, or Ace, or Grunt, as Kyle might call him from time to time. Um, and we get a little bit of exposition from Peter Weller here about the creation of the Screamers. Um, and Jefferson steps forward to like try to touch it, and of course we get a jump scare where the thing is, of course, dead. Um, as dead as a robot can get, anyway. And uh, its gears spin up for just a second, and uh, it's, it's just a jump scare to keep you, keep you awake. Uh, probably didn't work on Kyle, but <laughs> um, but all the while Jefferson is like chatting with Peter Weller, chatting at him, and uh, Peter Weller is basically ignoring him for the most part because he's too busy examining this dead robot, and he mutters under his breath that uh, this one seems to have modified itself. Um, so you can tell he's deeply troubled by this, but he's he has a person in the room who doesn't have any idea what he's talking about, so he's kind of keeping it to himself for the time being um and then chuck comes into the room and we get uh, a little bit more exposition here and we also discover that there's some misinformation going around uh, so jefferson the new arrival i uh, is told that you know there's potential for peace we just got to communicate from secretary green and we're we're on our way to make like settling things with the neb uh jefferson on the other hand is saying 
hey, that planet that the guy that you said the guy mentioned is a planet we're about to go wage war on, not make peace over. <laughs> and that dude is dead. He died two years ago. Not only that, he was like arrested and eliminated by mm-hmm. his own people. <laughs> so yeah. who knows what the fuck went down on Earth? Um, but yeah, uh, we get some Peter Weller yelling here, uh, which is very nice. He has a very distinctive yell. Um, it's it's it makes me think of uh, uh, Bea Lugosi in uh, Ed Wood when he's wrestling with the octopus. Mm. <laughs> it's like a primal scream. Where it's like, uh, do I do I need to like help him out? Like, is he okay? It's like no, that's called acting. <laughs> it's <laughs> like I'm, I'm genuinely concerned for his well being though. But he just yells like, "Get out of here!" <laughs> And uh, he and Chuck have it out a bit as Jefferson leaves the room. Uh, and this is where they kind of, like, air their grievances a little bit, where Peter Weller just kind of has a tirade here. And I think the line is, We are betrayed here, brother. We are beached. As in our command element, uh, the people on Earth, have basically sent us out here uh, with no intention of bringing us back. Um, they're keeping us alive they're still sending us provisions but they don't actually give a shit about us anymore and there's no expectation that we'll come back or win the war for that matter it's just it's a quagmire it's it's a dead end and obviously he's not very happy about that and at this point he you know he's frustrated to the point that he's like hey you know what that that message we got about making peace and settling matters with the neb Regardless of whether we have confirmation that that's what we're doing or not, fuck it. We're going to make our own peace down here. Like, we're just going to carve out our own existence free of Earth or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, And he wants to bring Jefferson with him on this march to the enemy command center uh, because he doesn't want to risk any more of his own people out in the field um, because apparently he's lost a lot of them. Uh, And then uh, we get more exposition about the, uh, the wrist tab. And did you did you pick up on the significance of those? Yeah. So what it does is it monitors your heart rate, but it only picks up the beats in between. Like it, it takes the silence in between beats. So it's like boom, boom. It's taking the stuff in between. And I had a question about that. Does that matter if your heart rate is jacked? Does it keep a like like does it does it does it go with your heart beating? Because if you've got if you're like a resting heart rate of like sixty or seventy, and your pulse goes up, is it gonna keep up with that? Mm. I mean, Kyle, you're pointing out things that maybe could have lent themselves well to the movie. Like, that would be an interesting scene where it's like a screamer's making a run at somebody and somebody is, like, across the room yelling at them, like, you need to, like, get your shit under control. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that thing that was perfectly fine with you a minute ago is not going to be fine with you anymore. <laughs> yeah, because nicotine, alcohol, both going to affect your heart rate as well. No, that, that would have been interesting. But it's a missed opportunity. It's okay. It's a missed opportunity. It, it's okay. It's you know, it is what it is. Mm. Um, anyway, we set out into the into the wasteland. Um, we have a, a farewell between Joe and Chuck, where they swap stories of like a I guess a happier time, probably before the war. And uh, I guess they were like whale watching or something. And Chuck has a cute line about like, "Oh, you were watching the whales." <laughs> it's like I was watching other stuff. <laughs> it's like apparently he was watching girls play volleyball. Good mm. for you, Chuck. Perv. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, we wave goodbye to Chuck, and we head out, and we get a slightly embarrassing music slash. Oh my montage. god! Yes, the music was awful. Yeah, it's it's it so desperately wants to be a 
was is Cheryl Crow the All I Want to Do? All I Want to Do is have some, have some fun. fun. It, yes, it's so it's so desperately wants to be that, but they couldn't afford that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's just some other bullshit. Like I, I don't even know if it was acquired like on the sly or if they're if they paid for it at all. Um, probably not they did not pay for it <laughs> they did not pay for it uh, this is Fiverr somebody's didn't. this is somebody's sister that has a garage band and they're like oh my sister will do it for free she just wants to get her music out there yeah fiverr did not exist at the time so either they stole it from somebody or somebody who is related to somebody that produced the film provided it. Um, but yeah this is slightly embarrassing um i don't care who you are you're not gonna like this um and we notice here that the landscape changes seemingly every few hundred feet um, so we go from like what looks like arid desert to like a snowy tundra almost, um, and I didn't have a problem with that. I thought it, it. I thought the landscape in this movie was actually one of the more interesting parts of it, to be honest. It's the only interesting part of it. Um, <laughs> it was the landscape. So I'm like, this actually looks good. It looks like as they're walking through, like it actually looks really cool. I like all the like the. Like the foggy giant buildings that are abandoned and uh, the matte paintings here, yeah, I thought it was really nice. Yeah, there's there's like a I want to call it a subgenre of sci-fi. This is not like an official, officially recognized subgenre, but in, in my mind I have like a, a tiny folder, like a file for a I call it um, sci-fi via hot glue gun, where you can tell that most of the props were just somebody with a bunch of shit in a garage hot like hot gluing a bunch of things onto things mm. and i have such a soft spot for that <laughs> like i have i have a very soft spot in my heart for shitty sci-fi done on the cheap where you can like it's almost like a team america where they uh, my brother told me that there's like a visual gag in that movie where almost every shot has some sort of ordinary household object in the frame like it's there it's like where's waldo mm-hmm. it's there it's not drawing attention to itself but they did that to like point out the scale of the objects you're seeing like of the puppets and the props and stuff so there's like a salt shaker just there to demonstrate like the puppet is this big in relation to that salt shaker and stuff. Mm. i like sci-fi where it's like like the borg in star trek next gen where it's like Oh yeah, I have one of those in my house. <laughs> it's like I have some tubing like that in my house. Or you look at the Ferengi and you're like, "Oh my god, I could make I could make I make could a, make that." I could make that. <laughs> if I applied myself and I had a lot of paper mache and some paint, I could probably do that. It's such an ambitious costume, like uh, like a creature design to put on something, but they did not have the technology to make the Ferengi look good. And also fuck those dudes. Oof. Uh yeah, I have problems with them just in terms of the way they're represented, at least in next gen, because that's the only one I've actually seen front to back. It seems like they're very one note. Mm, there are no, there are no good, note. honest Ferengi. They're all assholes. They're all about that cash. It's like doing <laughs> pirates every time. You're gonna get burned. Like they're. they're that's they're, the don't, problem. Don't you can't them. represent an entire race of people that way. It's <laughs> like, dangerous. It's dangerous yeah, that's ideas. Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> that's very dangerous. You need to. You do like have at least one good Ferengi in there that's like you know I'm not I'm not like that like it's like no I'll give you like honest rates on all of your purchases. <laughs> they did that with Worf because isn't he a Klingon? Yes, he is yeah. a Klingon, but he has Jewish uh, human parents. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's another. There's many wrinkles to Worf, not just on his face. Yeah. <laughs> but um. <laughs> 
I don't usually make those jokes, so I deserve it. I deserve that drum roll. You made one um, last week. You didn't even mean to. I, yeah, I, I did. <laughs> Fuck. That was like a pun, too. It was Fuck. good. It was a good one, too. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we radio Chuck when we're outside, and we get uh, another lovely mat shot, this time of the landscape being more snowy. And uh, we tell Chuck that, hey, yo, we're going to regularly check in. Uh, put a pin in that. Um, and then we get an exposition dump here from Peter Weller uh, conveyed to Jefferson, who is a recent arrival, so we have a good excuse in the script as to why he's dumping all this exposition. Very good on them for doing that. Um, about the radiation in the air. So we get uh, we get confirmation that the, the red cigarettes, um, radiation reds or what they call them, are important. Like basically, you can't survive on this planet uh, without these. Um, and... Peter Weller points out a very lovely matte painting over by a lake uh, that is a berinium <laughs> mine. <laughs> it's like, and if you look over there, there's a matte painting a that'll tell you painting. everything you need to know. <laughs> and to your right. Um, but it's a berinium mine, and he uh, wistfully recalls the days where it was like, you know, it was, it was kind of cool when we set up shop here and, like, we started mining and, you know, we were making a lot of money. And then the mine belched a whole bunch of radiation into the air and fucked us. <laughs> and, uh, he kind of mutters under his breath that we thought we discovered gold. We discovered shit. And uh, Jefferson actually has a cute line here where it's, uh, I can't believe you have to put this shit in your lungs to neutralize the shit in your lungs. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's that's a shit. That I think is the textbook definition of a shit sandwich. <laughs> yeah, it's a shit sandwich. <laughs> anyway, we enter what? the cityscape, which has some of the best matte paintings in the movie. What bread do you eat with a shit sandwich? Ooh. Because I always picture it as wheat bread. Ever since I was a kid, I'm like, it's probably wheat bread. Because I hated wheat bread when I was a kid. It'd have to be that, that really shitty, like, you know, how, like the general proportions of a loaf of bread? Yep. And you know the, the cheaper, ver- the cheaper mm-hmm. longer loaf mm-hmm. that's like, like an inch narrower? Yeah. It, it'd be that kind of wheat bread where... It, as you're pulling it out of the very thin plastic bag, the crust is already tearing off of it. Mm, yeah. That's so it's just sandwich. this flippy, floppy, just mess of crumbs and dust. And then you put the shit in there. Yeah. And it's, like, oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just sad to look at and even sadder to put in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's like when you run out of buns and you have to eat a hot dog with that one piece of bread. That's the shit sandwich. I've done that many a time. <laughs> <laughs> you eat pieces of shit with a big slice of bread. <laughs> uh, I can relate, Kyle. No, um, <laughs> anyway, we enter this cityscape, and uh, Joe was telling uh, Jefferson uh, that we basically have the Jarhead chat, where he's like, "Hey, I know you like signed up to go, you know, shoot some people, but by the way, this march that we're going on right now is." is me denying you the opportunity to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, fuck, that's mean. But I guess he's trying to keep the, the kid grounded. And I think it's funny because this guy does not look that young, but I think he's supposed to be young. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's often referred to, like, almost as a child. But it's like, he doesn't look that young. No. <laughs> like, he looks like he has kids back home, and he's probably, I don't know. <laughs> but he can, he can buy alcohol. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> 65 um, so he was 30 he was th- yeah he was about 30 doing this movie yeah, Ra- ralph machio he is not um, <laughs> that man was 35 and still looked 
20. <laughs> he did make it into Iron Man 3, though, as a satellite technician. Oh, bitchin'. Right? Come on <laughs> up, dude. Awesome. Good for Good him. For him. Um, but yeah, uh, we... We have some more exposition about how the war went down, and Peter Weller basically explains to us that things began with bombardments, uh, which is why we all hold up in bunkers and whatnot. And then there was a ground invasion, uh, which they were able to counter with uh, the deployment of these screamers. Um, so that, I guess, is where the uh, stalemate came about. So that things were real rough in the beginning, uh, kind of ruined the atmosphere, forced people underground for the most part. Um, but when it came to the ground fighting, the screamers turned the tide. Uh, speaking of which, uh, a screamer happens about like it just kind of like skirts around their feet and goes for a dead rat that's trying to yank underground just like it did the dead body earlier on. And uh, I think the kid takes a shot at it. I don't know if he hits it or not, but he freaks out a little bit. <laughs> I, the, the, the way that's edited, that, that sequence was very strange. Yeah, uh, it's kind of jumpy there. Um, but long story short, uh, Joe finishes his story and explains that uh, the Alliance back on Earth sent them the plans for the Screamers, which they went ahead and built uh, in a factory underground. And uh, at this point, though, they built the factory, they turned it on, and nobody knows how they're still going today, like how they're still functioning, uh, let alone how they're being manufactured, because we saw that chipset that he pulled out earlier says revised on it so apparently these things are just self-managing <laughs> in some fashion which is again very troubling <laughs> um apparently in in that uh direct-to-video sequel uh they actually go to the factory hmm. um which i can't confirm if that movie's worth anyone's time but we might have the effects looked okay we might have to do like a catching up on sequels movies that we've done for the podcast like jeepers creepers 2 screamers 2 just to find the garbage the ones that have nothing to do with the like none of the actors nothing about it is is continued like mortal Kombat: annihilation it's like robin shoe and homegirl and it's like this is almost not even the same same franchise it's a different thing yeah, they they got Talisa Soto and they they I think they I think Lyndon Ashby was in talks or something, but then he found out that he dies in the mm-hmm. opening minute, and he was like, "Fuck that!" <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, I, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is probably worth worth an episode. Mm. I know it's terrible, but there there is a place on the show for good bad. I can't even as a child, I couldn't even get through that movie. That's bad. <laughs> I'm like I think this is the second time this has come up. I'm just like picturing young Kyle putting on a movie and just like saying, Fuck it, going outside. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I've done that before. I did that with Jerry Maguire when I was a kid. I'm like, I want to watch Jerry Maguire. Everyone says this is a good movie. And I'm like I remember being outside and the movie was still on. I'm like, I'm not watching it. <laughs> I was like, fuck it. It's like who needs escapism? <laughs> who this, needs escapism? I have reality. This isn't for me. <laughs> no. Uh, Jerry Maguire was not for you. Um, not not at all. Um, it's for Jay Moore fans. <laughs> all three of them. That yeah, and small all soldiers. Three, all three. Um, anyway. Uh, Kevin we, Pollock is not one of them. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so we hear a sound off in the distance, and we take cover. And uh, we get this awesome mat shot of a snowy alleyway in like a bombed-out area of town. Uh, and then we get a, can I come with you? Uh, from a 
a little whoopee. He's a he's a wasp little. I fucking boy. hate this kid. Is like, there's a fucking kid in this movie? Come on. Yeah. Uh, to quote Cotton Hill from King of the Hill, everybody hated that baby. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, this kid sucks. This kid sucks. <laughs> the second you see him, you're like, you little sad sack. Ugh. I bet your parents yeah. are dead. <laughs> well, yeah, this just, is where you just want to like shake him. <laughs> well, we're 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 kind of like hinting towards like a Terminator Two. Like, yes, yeah, Skynet went Skynet went fucking on, and they're making their own machines. Kind of that's kind of the vibe you're getting so far. Now I'm like, we're getting a fucking aliens kind of thing. Now I have to take a fucking kid along with this. I'm like, it just felt like it was borrowing from other sci-fi properties. Yeah, I could see that um, part of. The- like one of the weaker elements of this movie is like we never really get a sense of the end goal of, of what these screamers want or if they even have a want other than to like propagate and advance themselves. Um, I think it would have been interesting. I think it would have been more interesting if we if we got to some of the later developments of the movie earlier um, where we, maybe you see that there's conflict among the screamers or maybe maybe there's some sort of unified intelligence or something it's all kind of up in the air so by the time we get to the credits it's like well that was a thing like I, I don't really know what I got from that but some stuff happened <laughs> and people die um, anyway uh, the kid has a little bear with him and uh, Peter Willer I gotta say Peter Willer like I don't know how many performances he's done with children but he has like a couple moments with this kid where he like is good like he comes across as very warm and like genuine i did like how he ha- like he does have a like, good thing with the kid he's like can i come with you he's like no you can't come with us and he's like you're gonna stay here and we'll come back for you in a couple days and i'm like yeah that's what you that's what he should do and the fucking grown we're gonna take him with him shut. he tells this dude to shut up a lot because he does need to shut up he does not stop talking yeah this this is the town of bath and Saving Private Ryan. It's like, put that fucking girl down. <laughs> <laughs> she looks sorry. Like my she looks like my niece. She looks like my niece. <laughs> Where did he get shot? That's what I didn't. I never caught. He's bleeding what out. What part of his body, you mean? Yeah, what part? I was always he... confused by that, too, except I think it was his, like, upper shoulder, like, probably just above the lung or something. Gotcha. Like, um, his lung just started to fill up with blood or something, or maybe clip the heart I, or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. No, he does stick out like a sore thumb in that in that group, doesn't he? That was before I even saw Fast and the Furious. I'm like, he just does not fit with these guys. I think it's almost like an unwritten rule in Hollywood that, like, in big budget war movies, if you're a young, potentially up and coming actor, like young male actor anyway, your agent will like hustle to get you into that because so many of those movies just the the stack the cast is stacked. That like, cast is stacked. Black Hawk Down, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Which what, I've, we've talked about both of those movies as having stacked casts. I think Saving Private Ryan is more stacked. Uh, arguably, yeah. Um, although I don't know in terms of like box office dollars, Black Hawk Down, mm. Orlando Bloom, and Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's in Black Hawk Down? Yes, he is. No. Almost positive he's one of the LMG guys. I don't believe you one bit. Keep talking. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll keep us going. Because we keep stalling. <laughs> well, we, we could talk about what happens next. They keep walking. Yeah, they keep walking. However, we stop for a minute. Uh, 
and we set a fire like um the location here looks really fascinating um i want to say this is like a historical building or <laughs> some some important structure in and kyle's making a face either way tom sizemore's in it <laughs> well fucking a man <laughs> like tom sizemore's in everything don't you know <laughs> oh um but yeah, we have a campfire going, and we learned that the boy's name is David, so we did, in fact, bring him along. Um, and uh, Jefferson has a... He tries to tell us a story about cooking rats, but uh, Joe thankfully stops him. Yeah. Uh, I did not need to hear that fucking story, even a portion of it. Um, and we try to call Chuck, but tran- like the transmissions are failing. However, uh, we do hear on his end, uh, we do hear he makes mention of a new arrival, um, but other than that, everything else is garbled. So put a pin in that. There's a lot of pins on the board right now. Um, Ty Burrell. I'm sorry, you know? real quick. Ty Burrell, Jamie Lannister, fucking Jeremy Piven. I forgot he's in that. Dude. Yeah. I sorry. Told, I told you. I told yeah. you. And yeah, Tom and Tom Hardy is definitely in that movie. Blackhawk Down wins. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. In terms of box office draw, yeah. And draw, yes, but Dennis Farina and fucking Ted Danson pop up in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, and Nathan Fillion. And, you know, like, oh, I forgot about Fillion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give the man more to do. Give him Paul work. Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. <laughs> uh, but Sorry. We get a funny beat here where uh, Peter Weller is, he's like playing with a rock that he's using to like flatten out a piece of paper. He sniffs the bear. What now? He sniffs the bear. Yeah, he does a lot of that. That's fucking weird, dude. <laughs> That's some creepy it's an shit. Thing. <laughs> that was off, that was a child's bear. Like normally, to smell someone else's property is pretty fucking creepy, but to smell like a child's bear, I'm like, what? What's going on with this guy? See, actually, you're pointing out something that would have made this movie a thousand times more engaging. If he was a pedophile. No. yes it would but not in the enjoyable (laughs) way (laughs) um no i mean what if kyle like you in like in that way as you are right now like was there for that scene what if there was a grumpy guy in the group from the get-go or like just someone else that had more of a colorful personality because everyone's so dour and downbeat in this movie like it would be a, it would be a lot more fun if there was like a guy who's gripey as opposed mm-hmm. to like the bouncy fun kid and the and the grizzled old vet. Like, what if there's some guy who's like Hudson from Aliens? What yeah. if Hudson was there? Hudson would make every movie better. <laughs> yeah, chewing gum with his mouth open like a fucking. Ugh. I mean, yeah, they're sitting down for a campfire. How do we get out of this chicken shit outfit? <laughs> I gotta watch some. I've gotta watch something, some kind of good sci-fi movie, because you just keep just, mi- mentioning all like Terminator Two, Aliens. I'm like, I want to watch either one of those right now. Hudson, come here. Come, come here. here. <laughs> it's another beautiful day in the core. <laughs> it's gonna be a Jim Cameron movie, whatever. It is. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a Jim Cameron movie easily. Yeah. Anyway, the the funny beat here is that this rock that he's been filtering around with sprouts legs and a head, and it turns out to be like a gecko that's also a rock mm-hmm. or a, a bug of some sort. And he, he chucks the thing and says, if you're going to be a rock, be a rock, that was not a good. bug. I thought that <laughs> so was, it, it's very niche. Never will you get to use that that line. It's it's a nice line, though. I mean, I've been saying it for years. Like, if I was... If I was Willem Dafoe and I was reading the script for Spider-Man and I saw that there was a line that says, we'll meet again, Spider-Man, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I'm sold. Like it's like the rest of this thing could be dog shit, but I get to say that. <laughs> Wait like, a minute, she's gonna slap my hand when I try to steal some stuffing. That seems odd. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, I, I want you to lick your lip, lick your fingers right after she slaps you too. It's like just be as creepy as fucking possible, Willem. It's not hard <laughs> no for <problem>. you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, we get a we get a moment here where, like like you had pointed out, uh, Peter Weller is sniffing that bear, mm. and uh, the camera kind of rotates around, and we see Jefferson listening to some tunes. Uh, however, we also notice that his uh, his wrist tab is off, um, and we also get a POV of what he was doing with his Walkman, and it's 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 porn. Yeah, <laughs> it's psychedelic. Dude, porn. it's fucking awesome though. It's like a screen. <laughs> it's like some fucking hacker screens, like uh, yeah, screenscape where it's like titties in a tunnel. Like we're just kinda, <laughs> titties popping up, and he's going through a tunnel. And there's some titties over here. Yeah, he's having a good time. Oh yeah, he's listening to music. He's in the Matrix with titties, multiple mm-hmm. sets of titties flying yes. into his face. Yeah. He's having a grand. It'd be funny if you forgot where he was and he started jerking it, like right there. Like, <laughs> like you just hear like a. And then Peter Weller just looks over and he's Je- just pounding Je- one Je- out. Jefferson. <laughs> Jeff- Je- God, I don't know. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> oh, forgot where I was. Forgot where I was. Sorry. <laughs> Again, things that would have made the movie more engaging. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's a tense young man. He's got to get it out somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Over the shoulders, acidic mustard shit. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, as it so happens, he has his tab off, and uh, Peter Weller catches wind of the fact that a screamer is flying straight at Jefferson. Does he? Because he's pretty fucking calm for it. He's just what like, hmm, yep, there's a screamer. There's a screamer coming right for him. <laughs> Not gonna do much about that. Well, he does give a half-hearted attempt to say, like, Jefferson? Yeah. Jefferson? Hey. Hey. Oh, whatever. <laughs> but you need to remember he did bring him out here because he didn't care about him. Or it's at true. least he was pretending he didn't care about him. But, uh, yeah, uh, this screamer makes a beeline for him, and uh, Peter Weller tackles him out of the way, so he saves his ass, and he ends up having to shoot the screamer because it comes back for more. Um, and... We examine the screamer corpse, and this one looks totally different. This one has the shape of an animal almost. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of uh, like a primitive, like a prehistoric fish or amphibian of some sort. I thought of uh, Dead Alive. I thought of the Sumerian rat at the beginning for some reason. Uh, the, the Sumatran rat monkey? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Um, <laughs> but this made me think of like something from like, I don't know, the time period of like a sea like Canth or something. Yeah. Um, I, I had zoo books and stuff that had there, there's like uh, amphibians from prehistoric times that have like a boomerang shaped head mm-hmm. made me think of that but this thing is buzzsaw on its face um and we also take the chip off of this one and it looks to be again different from what peter weller was expecting um so we take off into the morning so more walking and this is where we get i think the best mat of the entire movie so it's them, very tiny in the frame, walking towards the camera. And behind them is the cityscape all mm, bombed out and yes. stuff. And th- the sky is just, like, the sun is coming up, and the sky is just this really vibrant pink and purple. It's, it's really striking. I liked it a lot. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the three of us, we all arrive at a 
snowy quarry and uh, we cut to like a POV shot of what appears to be like a site of some sort, it's like a scope. Um, and it's examining our heroes, our, our three people that have been wandering. And um, we get to see some NEB soldiers and they have gray uniforms on like the brown uh, leather coats of our Alliance guys. Um, it's kind of funny because like when it comes to uh, like future war movies and stuff, I feel like from an aesthetic standpoint, most most sci-fi movies, at least from like the '90s backwards, never look right. Like it, like in in the representation of like military tech and stuff. Like today, these days, I think they try a little harder to maybe make it look more feasible or more appropriate, I guess, for like a future scenario. Because, yeah, a bunch of guys in leather coats looking like they're wearing World War II gear doesn't doesn't look like 2078 of like how most of us today would imagine it anyway. Also, a disc man in 2078, dude. Come yeah, on. what what I'm saying is like movies movies like Edge of Tomorrow and stuff. I think make a more earnest attempt to you know represent what what the future would actually look like. Um, but again, twenty million dollars, you work with what you got, um, and even like that's uh, a good amount of money. Like one uh, criticism that you know a lot of people who read the book that it was based on, like like apparently uh, mech suits were a big part of the tech in the book, and they're not at all represented in the Starship Troopers movie until the direct-to-video sequels, and very poorly once they are. <laughs> but they don't have Tom Cruise money. No, of course not. I, I mean, the second Starship Troopers movie is terrible, but I, I want to say Phil Tippett, or uh, talking about Robocop 2, I, I want to say that he worked on the, I think he directed it, mm. and probably did like visual effects super, supervision and whatnot. Um, so the CGI in it is actually very, very good. The only problem is the script is dog shit and the acting's terrible. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, we uh, we see these NEB guys taking aim at our heroes, and we keep cutting to this POV footage of, of like the aim down sights essentially. And sure enough, uh, David, the little boy, he gets blasted in the Dude, fucking chest. It took me a minute because it, it's like scanning them, and it's like uh, Peter Weller armed, kid armed. I'm like, wait, why is this kid armed? I'm like, does he have a gun on him? Did they give him a weapon? I don't remember them to. <gasps> Boom! He just gets shot in the chest. I'm like. Okay, we're, this kid is dead. I'm like, God damn it. He's probably got like some bulletproof vest on or some shit like that. I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, he is not dead. He is a goddamn cyborg. <laughs> He's only mostly dead. Yes. Um, um, yeah, as it so happens, uh, both both uh, both Joe and, and Jefferson, they run over this kid, and uh, we take a look at the hole in his chest, and it's a considerable hole, and he has... A whole bunch of wires and and gears and gizmos in his chest cavity, uh, and Joe, without hesitating, just kind of like mutters, like he's a fucking screamer. <laughs> and uh, Jefferson's standing over the kid, and the kid springs to life and grabs hold of his rifle, like the barrel of the rifle. And uh, if you're gonna hold the barrel of a rifle, probably a good idea to point it anywhere but your face yeah right um <laughs> so the kid starts screaming the same scream that we've been hearing from the underground screamers and uh jefferson does what anyone with half a brain would do and he blows the kid's fucking head off <laughs> um 
Speaking of which, the, the guns in this movie always looked weird to me because it's very obviously like an, an actual, like normal, like conventional rifle with a bunch of shit stacked on top of it. So it, I want to say it's a like a Dragunov SVD, like a, a Soviet rifle, basically, like a, mm. a Russian rifle um, with a bunch of, again, shit hot glued onto it. Um, but it results in this situation where you have two barrels on one rifle. It's like, hang on, why would one have two barrels <laughs> like on one rifle? It's like, I only see one trigger, but, you know, they did what... I think it's probably they probably had the pulse rifle from aliens in mind where it's like it has an over and an under and even that was assembled from very old school stuff <laughs> like it's a fucking thompson under all that it's a fucking world war ii submachine gun <laughs> um but yeah uh, the kid gets blasted in the face and uh enter becker who i want to say is one of the more compelling acting performances in the movie uh he's the teardrop guy yeah. Um, I actually kind of liked him in this. He's fine. Um, I wish that he had kept his sunglasses on the whole time. Uh, he looks like a straight-up bully from like an 80s snowboarding movie. Like It's the hair. Yeah. It's, he's, it's like... he's got tall, feathered hair. Um, <laughs> You're feathering it, brother. Um, he's... <laughs> He's, uh, I was to say, he kind of reminded me of T.J. Miller when he takes his uh, glasses, glasses off because of his eyes. I don't know. They just both have kind of buggy eyes. Yeah, they're they're close together. Mm-hmm. Like they're not very widely spaced. But he's more handsome, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did like him, but I wish he would have kept his sunglasses on, like Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all out of bubble gum. I'm all um, out of bubble gum. Um, yeah, he. Uh, He's one of the better performances in the movie, but he has a buddy named Ross who is one of the worst performances in the movie. Oh, so God, I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> he's terrible. Even as a kid, I was like, that's not acting. <laughs> like, yeah. That's just garbage. Fuck um, you, you little walk-on fuck. <laughs> so Becker, like like Kyle had described, he has the tall hair. He looks like a thug from a, like, I don't know, a, a downhill skiing movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't help, too, that everybody has the uh, the snow sunburn on their faces in this movie. That and, the, like, the jacket and his hair and the glass. It just all looks like he's from a snowboarding movie. If I, if I like, photoshopped him onto, onto a hill in an 80s skiing movie of some sort, like, if I just put him in the middle of a scene, he would fit right in. You wouldn't mm-hmm. have to dress him up at all. But, um... So there's Becker, and then there's also Ross, who has glasses and is perpetually chewing, like, a lanyard or something. I thought he was, um, it's like the string from his, uh, from his jacket or whatever. Yeah, it's like a drawstring or something. But I thought maybe for a second, I'm like, there was something in Willow, uh, that he gives, it's like black fruit or something like that, and it was, he's chewing on it or something. I thought it was like maybe tobacco, like a rolled up piece of tobacco, like, in this, you know, barren landscape like is it like some kind of like shoestring like piece of tobacco he's chewing on no it's just a little it's just a string well the the problem is he sting he stands out too much because like he's obviously trying to do an acting thing where he's he's bug-eyed and fidgety like he's the shell-shocked guy in the movie yeah any any one of these kinds of movies where you have like monsters hiding in plain sight be it the thing or what have you is gonna have that character only problem is he's going way over the top with it and he has too many quirks and he draws too much attention to himself um 
but we get some exposition from the NEB guys about uh, the Screamers having evolved in some fashion, and apparently this little boy is a new ploy that they have to sneak into bunkers. So they basically tag along with people because who could resist a, I think he calls it a snot-nosed kid or something. Ugh, I could. I let him die. Oh, yeah. I mean, even Peter Weller could. It wasn't until Jefferson urged him to turn back that he, he gave in. Um, but yeah, apparently the little kids are a, a way for the Screamers to, to bust bunkers in some fashion. But uh, we get a weird lighting discrepancy here where I, I, I feel like something something happened. Like there was a problem or a reshoot that had to happen where Peter Weller and Jefferson are like lit from below with what looks like a yellow shop light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the opposite angle is just, you know, looks like a traditional, you know, like normally lit scene outdoors. Um, it's just a weird couple of shots here that's like, what the fuck happened there? But anyway, we head into this air ventilation tunnel, which I guess is the, the where these NEB guys have been hiding out. And uh, this factory location is really cool. Like, like this is obviously a like a closed down factory of some sort, like a decrepit factory of some sort, and it's massive, and it has all sorts of gantries and like 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 staircases and all manner of pillars and posts and stuff. It just looks really cool. It's it's eye catching for sure. Um, but we head in here, and uh, we again try to call Chuck, uh, to no avail. Um, and then we have ourselves a uh, Mexican standoff. Which I thought was weird that he didn't disarm them. I, f- I figured he would have take, taken their weapons from them. He's like, no, just let them have their weapons. Fuck no, dude. In this kind of situation, society crumbles and you want to come into my place, uh, we're taking your weapons, dude. Oh, yeah, and we're part of warring factions. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. It wouldn't but work no. for the Mexican standoff that's about to happen. Yeah, but anybody, if everybody's armed and everybody's pointing guns at each other and... Uh, I, I started a counter in my notes because I remembered this from when I first saw this movie. Um, Ross, I started a counter, uh, get off my back counts um, because it's important to keep track of how many times he says it. Um, this would be number one. <laughs> uh, just get off my back is his, his uh, catchphrase. Um, and then enter uh, Jessica, the, the one woman in this movie, mm. uh, played by Jennifer Rubin. Uh, who is the person that Kyle was alluding to earlier that was in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Dude, I think every single episode we've had so far has at some point a siren in the background. Almost every yeah. single one. I'm sorry, my neighborhood is like that. Sometimes. In Seattle? <laughs> no, your your neighborhood's in a major city? Yeah, there's just going to be there's gonna be yes. ambulances. So I was calling this lady, so it's like, I call her Flora Glenn Broyle. Because uh, she is a mix-up of Laura Flynn Boyle and uh, Lori Petty. I thought if you just mash those two together. Like, I could hear them like, okay, who are we going to get to play this girl? I'm like, well, that Laura Flynn Boyle, she's an eye-catcher. What was she in, Twin Peaks? Oh, yeah, she's gorgeous. Let's get her. Nah, she's busy. I'm like, okay. Um, what's that movie with the the dumb guy? He says, buddy. Uh, uh, what's her name? Lori Petty. Yeah, what is she doing? Is she available? No, she's doing Tank Girl. Like, Shit. I guess we got this lady. Yeah, Flora Glenn Broyle. I was watching this movie with that woman from the tank. The woman <laughs> from the tank. <laughs> the woman from the bus. <laughs> the woman from the bus. It's still one of my favorite it, George is dead moments. I was actually thinking today, like, every, uh, I work with a kid, and 
I, I called him by his full name. He's like, that's not my name. I'm like, yeah, it is. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> He's like 18. I like to mess with him. Um, but he, uh, I was thinking, I'm like, I was thinking FDR, Franklin Delano Romanowski. <laughs> but I was thinking, who is the funniest person on Seinfeld? And I'm like, it's George. It's it's it, it, it's 100% George. Like, Kramer is, like, when you're a kid, you're like, well, that guy's wacky. He seems pretty great. Your parents probably like Jerry, but it's all George. And oh, yeah. of course, the <laughs> other funniest, the other funniest person or the funniest reoccurring character is his dad. No, the Costanzas yes. as a whole, the, yes. the trio. <laughs> oh, they're the best. They're the, they're the best. They are the best. Um, but yeah, uh, the lady uh, Jennifer or Jessica or whatever the fuck Jessica. Um, <laughs> she she walks into the frame. Uh, she steps down a staircase and she stops the standoff and. You can tell that these dudes have not seen many women in the past 10 years because uh, everybody stops. And, yeah, uh, she brings everyone scotch, which is also probably like, I haven't seen that in a while, too. Yeah. Um, and, and she pulls Joe too. aside. But I like that Becker, when, when they set the liquor down on the table, like he's like, have at it, boys. And Becker just grabs the whole bottle and just starts like, guzzling it, it. Yeah, just like selfishly, like "fuck y'all, I'm the big guy in the room. Yeah. I've got the frosted tips, motherfucker. Come <laughs> take it from me." <laughs> but anyway, uh, we head to the back, uh, the lady and Joe, and uh, we have a smoke and a chat. This was um, weird. Yeah, this was weird. Um, again, like her delivery is a little funky because everybody's supposed to be pretty downbeat in this, but like she takes it a further step where it's like man you're depressing like, it's like like maybe in a coffee and cigarettes movie but not mm-hmm. like a sci-fi movie they're having a coffee and cigarettes my mom and brother were just killed in an accident and i'm not feeling so good about myself and peter weller is a guy who's watched everybody around him die like this is a different movie <laughs> <laughs> yes big time but we learned that she is a freelancer, so she, apparently she has no allegiances. Um, she He introduces himself as being from San Francisco and she from Pittsburgh. Um, and she tells us that she knows where Neb Command is, where NEB Command is. And she recalls a, a time where she overheard hordes of Davids um, marching into a bunker somewhere. And she heard a whole bunch of NEB guys get, get got. So it wasn't a happy time. And we have a name drop here for a character, Richard Cooper, who is apparently the NEB commander of some sort, who's who's the person that we're looking for, essentially, to talk peace and whatnot. Um, and very important detail, she makes, she makes mention of the fact that she wants to go to Earth. Um, she wants to get passage to Earth. And also important to note is that she is giving herself a sponge bath yeah. in front of Peter Weller as she makes this request. Yeah, he's um, like, God, you're beautiful. Which is a very strange line, yeah. it delivered strangely, and it's an awkward moment. <laughs> you shouldn't be saying that from across the room. You should be doing that as you two are about to make out. Kyle, you know what would, would have made that line like land, like, hmm. like actually stick the landing? It's like same shot where he's like kind of crouched down the frame and says, God, you're beautiful. And then his hand just goes with the bear. Yeah, he smells the bear. <laughs> no blinking, just... Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty fucking creepy. He's like, you got any used dildos around here I can sniff <laughs> What? That's a... I got the bear. <laughs> you creep. Yes. 
whisper sweet nothings to the bear. <laughs> Can you give me some of Becker's underwear? <laughs> you need to do that John Lovett style from The Wedding Singer where a curtain draws in front of your face. <laughs> Just recede into the darkness. And I'm reaping um, all the benefits. But yeah, it's important to note that she is both naked and asking to go to Earth. And, oh. uh, and I Ia, thought you were going <laughs> to say something different. <laughs> I thought you were going to say naked and asking for it. I'm like, dude, she's not asking for it. <laughs> no, no, God, no. <laughs> but um, I do think that's an important detail, uh, that she did both of those things simultaneously. And Peter Weller does an acting thing where, like like you had said, that is a terrible line. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care who you are. It's hard to say that line. Um, but he does, like, an acting thing where you can tell, like, the conversation up to that point had a different tone. But as as soon as the top comes off and the sponging begins, he a little switch gets flicked with him where he becomes a primal dude for a minute. And it's like, yeah, yeah breastuses are powerful, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially you know if it's been like ten years of frustration, yeah, of many varieties. Um, anyway, uh, some stuff happens. Uh, Jefferson finds a mini nuclear device, which um, you know. Chekhov's gun like if we're gonna mention a fucking mini nuke it's gonna get deployed at some point put a pin in that um we get to see Becker sharpening his knife it's kind of like one of his trademarks I guess in this movie he's the (laughs) knife guy Um, I'm just like a kid playing with his dick when he's scared (laughs) what the fuck does that even mean (laughs) (laughs) um he also quotes Shakespeare here I don't recognize which play it's from but it's an ongoing thing with him Oh, you don't know Shakespeare, Trevor? Well, let me tell you which one it is. I don't know either, dude. <laughs> um, but Oh my god, is, I do not care. It is kind of cute that uh, Peter Weller does a Captain America. I understood that reference. Like mm. He does a thing that I have to do when I'm around certain types of nerds every once in a while. Where it, It's important, Kyle, to bring a nerd card to nerd gatherings. And a nerd card is not a physical thing unless you have, like, a totem. Like, if you carry a fucking D&D book with you, that is a nerd card. Mm-hmm. That is that is your passport into the nerd kingdom. However, if you show up looking like like a normal guy and they, they, they need to vet you in some fashion, you got to play this game where, you know, you have to do the I understood that reference game where they test you. They give you a little jab, like... Oh, he won't know that. He won't get that joke. And then mm-hmm. you throw it back at him. They're like, oh, he's one of us, but he's better. <laughs> Do you have to be a nerd at something or something that's associated with them? Um, there is crossover. Okay. Like, like, like the nerd realms do inter they do mingle with each other. Um, so you you can fudge it a little bit. Like like say you're in a Star Wars room and you bring up Star Trek. More than likely you'll be okay. There'll be some crossover. I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. That's that's my. You'll you'll, you'll be fine. Yeah, okay. uh, that one actually might give you like high nerd cred, like like high. Because you have to re- actually read to appreciate those. Exactly. You, yeah. you actually have to put forth fucking effort. <laughs> you have to put in reps, motherfucker. <laughs> Reading the Silmarillion, you just you just fall in love with them all over again. It's insane. It's. It's like every piece of work that I've taken in by Tolkien, whether it's the movies, the books, everything. It's just it's something else, and you're just like, God damn it, I fucking love him. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle is a alpha nerd in the sense that he would walk into a room and 
be like, oh, you motherfuckers, you just you just buy little toys and action <laughs> figures and shit. You just throw your money on the counter and you go home with your toys and shit. I have to read fucking books, motherfucker. <laughs> <read> books. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, there's no extended universe. That's not a real fucking thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. Disney put a stop to that. There ain't <laughs> My guy was writing that. My guy was writing a Bible for his universe. A it Bible. Like my, it's like, my dude went to fucking war, motherfucker. <laughs> my, dude, my dude is an Oxford professor. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, Becker sharpens his knife and quotes Shakespeare. Uh, I understood that reference. And uh, anyway, we pile into a very cramped elevator. Um, I can see why they used it, though, because it's an actual functional elevator in a decrepit factory mm-hmm. maybe a little risky to be honest because it looks pretty run down um but it looks pretty fucking cool because it's actually like a factory elevator and it functions and we make good use of it in this movie um soundtrack has some ugly bio digital jazz on it um oh, <laughs> i didn't even catch that it's it's ugly digital brass where it's like that's there n- no no human's lips touched any instrument to produce that sound um, we get a stupid jump scare where Ross gets spooked by some rats. Get off my back count two and three here as uh, Becker draws attention to the fact that Ross has a habit of repeating himself mm-hmm. under pressure. Uh, so many fucking pins on the board. <laughs> but um, anyway, we, uh, we kind of get to uh, the Neb Command Center here. We, we enter it through an underground passage, and we do find like a, a squishy but old corpse so it's like it's an old corpse but it's still squishy so it's Mm -hmm. not like a mummy not yet anyway um but we get in there through like a service tunnel and the architecture here is really cool um this is obviously not a set this is an actual location of some sort basement of like the montreal whatever their hockey team is it's the basement of their stadium or something yeah, I, I remember reading that the uh, Olympic Stadium was one of the key locations they yeah. filmed on, so it's probably that. Um, I haven't bothered to double-check that if that's exactly this, but um, it reminded me of uh, the uh, Washington, D.C. subway tunnels, um, which I had the pleasure of riding uh, last year. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> there's a Delta City model on display, <laughs> so call back to Robocop. Um, but uh, we find a cafeteria soaked in blood. Uh, however, there are no bodies, um, and Ross has a little bit of a flip out here um, because he is an NEB guy, and it's safe to assume that maybe he was present for this, or maybe he had a very similar situation like this go down with him because it is mentioned earlier that his his whole unit got killed by uh, David's mm-hmm. uh, the little boy screamers. Um, so he throws a little tantrum here, and uh, Peter Weller has a pretty good line where he says, Jefferson, if that man moves, I mean, if he so much as makes a sound or farts, shoot him. <laughs> and just master of deadpan, because he doesn't blink when he says this. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that he 100% means it, because he ain't got time for that. Nobody does. Um, the command center terminal here for NEB command, I'm sorry, production designer needs a kick in the nuts, because this looks like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers command center. Mm-hmm. I was I was looking for Zordon. I was looking for the tube. There is no Zordon, unfortunately, but we have these, like, rows of horizontally aligned, like, fluorescent tubes. They're, it, like, uh, it just, it looks like garbage. I'm sorry. $20 million or not, you can do better. Um, and then, though, we get some actually kind of good special effects. Yeah. Uh, some stop motion, Kyle. 
Yeah, the screamer. I was like, okay, finally, something to look at. <laughs> something fucking happened. Something is happening. Uh, yeah. Almost. This little, this little screamer dude just kind of walks over and uh, looks around. He's like, nobody's here. I feel like somebody's here. Nobody's here. Okay. <laughs> so he goes over and he uh, he puts his, his little screamer dick into the computer and uh, up, it either uploads or down, it downloads something. And he's still looking around like, I feel a presence, <laughs> but I can't put my finger on it. He's like, anyway, that's enough for now. And then he starts to walk away and he's just like, no, oh, there's something here, and he just fucking turns around, <laughs> and uh, he goes after. Is it, what, what's the glasses guy's name? Ross. 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 Pivot. Yeah. Pivot. Pivot. <laughs> yeah. 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 He goes for Ross, and uh, Jefferson, who has a tab, by the way, uh, he steps in front of him to try to see if this will work. Like, if we stay in close quarters with people who don't have tabs, maybe this will ward off the thing or like get get the scent off of them um it works for a minute um but man this this thing like it's like a confused puppy or something because like you said its attention span is just like all over the place yeah because it starts to wander off but then it comes right the fuck back and it launches itself at them and ross manages to cap it in midair however he also blows up a lot of the computers nearby which is part of why we're here Uh, apparently this wasn't this wasn't especially well communicated to us, the audience. Um, anyway, uh, the lights shut off. Like, all the lights in the building go off for a second, and uh, we hear a, can I come with you, uh, in the voice of David. Um, and remember, Jessica had mentioned earlier that she saw hordes of Davids, and also the NEB guys had mentioned that this is the thing that they do, so it's safe to assume that there are many of them. We don't actually see that <laughs> until mm-hmm. a few minutes later. Which is very unfortunate, because we have this whole long sequence where everybody's running, and the music is really frantic and energetic, and we don't see a damn thing. Like, Mm-mm. they're running from not even shadows. Not even shadows. We, we ran away from the voice of a child in the distance. So we don't even have confirmation that there's a threat, to be honest. Um, but everybody takes off running like it's fucking Godzilla traipsing through fucking Tokyo. Um, so Joe tells everyone get the fuck out of dodge and they kind of do meanwhile he starts monkeying with the computers and like this is where my notes start reading like man this music is so much more exciting than what's actually happening (laughs) (laughs) this is a little embarrassing um and joe finds a giant auxiliary power button which has like the the old macintosh font on it which Mm -hmm. made me cringe a little bit um, and he starts scanning the uh, the chips from all the screamers that he's been collecting since the beginning of the movie, and uh, we get some uh, like computer generated like wireframes uh, of all the different screamer designs. We get to learn that the type type one revised is the animal one, so the the amphibious creature looking one that we just saw in stop motion, and a type three is a David. And he tries to look up a Type 2, but he can't find a schematic for it. Uh, Or at least he doesn't have time for it. And we get a a weird, uh, like a goofy morph effect of a David rolling up on him. And its face does the the ghost face thing that you see in like all those like 2000s like found footage horror movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. Where somebody goes, ah, and then their mouth gets all long. Like he does that, but with like pointing teeth. And uh, yeah, he gets shot in the face. And uh, anyway, long story short, we get out of the basement and we head back to, like, 
Jessica's hideout, and uh, everybody's safe. Nobody dies or anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> everybody's fine, unfortunately. Um, and uh, it's funny also know that the music kind of reminded me a little bit of, like Batman Begins, like the Batman theme. Um, just it has that like kind of vibe to it. I always thought that it was fitting that Batman doesn't get a theme music in Batman Begins until he's in the the tumbler, until he's in the vehicle. Because the whole movie is like kind of winding up to the debut of his theme music, and it's not until that scene that you actually get it. It's kind of cool. I remember Hans Zimmer saying that he had. It's like he earns it. <laughs> it's like Batman had to earn a theme music before they could use it in the movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, anyway, uh, Jessica bails them out, and we get we get back safe. And uh, then we we all get back there at at the hideout, and we have a discussion about the Type Two, because he was trying to figure out what what should I be looking out for, because I I had the other two kinds confirmed, but there's apparently another one, and I uh, we. <laughs> Ross uses his uh, just get off my back line like two and a half more times here. And Becker kind of draws more attention to the fact that it's like you keep repeating yourself, man. Like we're, we're all afraid of like robot people. Maybe you should stop doing that. <laughs> like you're, you're kind of implicating yourself. Um, but uh, important line of dialogue here is that Jessica explains that a type two is a wounded soldier so instead of a a boy asking can i come with you it's a soldier who is laying on the ground pathetic and like dying or something there was a weird thing that happened so they're all leaving and uh the grunt kid that was with him the whole time he's like i gotta go back for him or whatever and he kind of bumps into him and he says can i come with you it's it, it it's in passing and you almost it's like did I just hear that it was kind of like when Tyler, Tyler Durden splices in the bits of porn into movies it's like nobody knows that they saw it but they did it, it felt like that I'm like did he just say that it's a nice little beat so now it is. <clears throat> so now that, that yeah keep going sorry that, I just thought that was that's part of that no it it's nice because it, it we're setting up for a thing scenario here where it's red like, herring. Yeah, who's who's the bad guy? Like some like we know that these things can do this now, so like obviously there's gonna be somebody who's not as they seem. And yeah, having Jefferson be the sole survivor of a crash mm-hmm. and you know, it's very suspicious. Yeah. That he and it's funny though, because uh he's never actually like they never point the finger at him. Like like Peter Weller never seems to suspect him as much as we the audience might. In fact, in reaction to that, he actually says, like, like motherfucker, I almost shot you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's, he's just, like, mad at him, but he's not suspicious. He's just mad. <laughs> um, so it's kind of weird. It's like the movie threw it out there and then forgot about it. Um, but long story short, uh, the, the get-off-my-backs continue to the point that uh, Becker and Ross kind of shoot each other a look, and Ross goes for his gun, and Becker chucks that knife of his into Ross's torso. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did. And as it so happens, Ross was human. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get a thing scenario where that yeah. makes you a moiterer. That makes you a murderer. <laughs> That's the other movie that I want to watch now. Yeah, it's a great one. Um, but he tries to repeat. He tries to defend his action by pointing out that like he, the guy kept repeating himself, and he he didn't have any scotch when the rest of us drank. It's like, eh, he has a point. But 
He's all, <laughs> Becker also seems to make it a point to be as suspicious as possible. <laughs> like, like he's just an unsettling guy um, in general. Um, anyway, uh, before we can get into it any further, though, uh, we we did all kind of just decide to head back to Alliance Command. So we're going to go back the way we came, essentially. Um, so we march back, and uh, Becker and Jefferson have a little exchange here where Becker drops some more Shakespeare. And it start their conversation starts out like he's kind of dressing down Jefferson, like kind of being, I don't know, aggro with him. But then it ends with them kind of like smiling together where they, they share a moment where it's like, oh, you're not you're not the worst guy in the world, even though you throw knives at your friends. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just a one time thing. <laughs> but we reach Alliance Command and we have this uh, ominous moment where the music kind of comes on and it is creating an atmosphere of sorts as Peter Weller hops on the radio, which isn't working still. And uh, we get a lot of repetition of Chuck on the other end saying, uh, come on down, over. And obviously this is a conversation that the radio is not exactly working, so it's like, oh, maybe he can't hear me, but he just keeps repeating it. Like, come on down, over. And Peter Weller's like, no, you come out over here. Like, you come up. Th I'm not coming down, you come up. This reminded me of Hey Arnold, where <laughs> there's, the, there's the two, like, sixth graders or whatever. And it's Maria and Tommy. And every scene they're in together is the two of them at a distance yelling at each other, Hey, Maria, come over here. And then Maria <laughs> says, No, Tommy, you come over here. And he's, Maria, come over here. <laughs> <laughs> but they just go on and on like that. And then we get uh, probably the, the sequence that I haven't w watched the trailer for this movie since 1995 or 94. But um, I want to say probably most of the footage for the trailer came from this sequence. Um, and this is of course is the scene where uh, we all kind of like fall back because Peter Weller suspects something's wrong in fact he tries to test Chuck by saying like uh, let me speak to Don Giovanni aka the, the name of the opera that he had playing in his office and uh, without even pausing Chuck replies this is John Don Giovanni come on down over <laughs> it's like oh wow you're not even trying to pretend to be human anymore no. <laughs> but uh, we all fall back to this hill, and uh, the shutter door opens, and a horde of Davids, or at least the actor who played David and a bunch of little people wearing David masks, mm -hmm. <laughs> come out of the bays. And uh, what did you think of the sequence, Kyle? Um, yeah, I, I was—I guess it was trying to be creepy, but we haven't seen these things do anything to anybody, so it doesn't really carry any weight. So it just. It didn't really do much for me. Yeah, it's in terms of like staging of the action, like choreography and whatnot, there really isn't any because none of these little boy monsters move very quickly. They all just kind of like shamble along. It is kind of fun watching them explode. Um, some of the some of the makeup effects here are kind of fun where we, we do get to see a lot of little kids get set on fire. <laughs> a lot of faces get blown up. And uh, there's kind of a cool shot where we see one of them melting and we actually see... Um, like the endoskeleton underneath mm -hmm. um, the hand splits open we see that they have blood saws like inside their palms um, only problem with that is that like you said it would be nice if we actually got to see what what these things do to people um, because it needs to be said in terms of on-screen body count uh, we never actually see these these David screamers get anybody so we don't even know what what the horror is that everybody's talking about and 
it would be cool if like you know just they're little kids you know kids can fucking move like they they run pretty quick mm-hmm. <laughs> especially robot kids so like just imagine like a little kid running up and yeah his hands turned into buzz saws and he jams them into somebody like yeah, it would be like, horrifying it's like the brood yeah yeah well yeah, i mean that movie's really creepy on mm-hmm. many levels uh, especially in terms of like psychology but um, yeah. it's, it's also creepy on like a physical level too but but yeah um the staging of this is very poor in that it's just a, a wall of bodies being thrown at guns and the guns are winning <laughs> until the numbers come into play at which point uh Oh, by the way, a flamethrower is used, and you can tell that Peter Weller was not allowed to handle a flamethrower because um, mm-hmm. that is obviously a stunt double. Um, in fact, I think a lot of the uh, the more dangerous-looking uh, filming locations, I want to say, mostly used stunt doubles to maneuver through because mm. uh, there are some legitimately dangerous settings that they filmed in. Um, that is a very steep fall, like at the climax of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, the scene ends with uh, Peter Weller um, asking Jefferson to get out the mini Pluto, the mini plutonium rocket that he uh, had chastised him about taking earlier. And he's like, fuck it, we're doing it. <laughs> um, so he, he nukes his own command center. And, uh, of course, he yells in his Peter Weller voice, hang on! <laughs> At which I remember distinctly being like the trailer line is hang on, which in the 90s, actually, that's very appropriate. For, for 90s marketing, hang on. That is, that is very much a, a 90s like marketing tagline. Um, anyway, gigantic explosion. We all fly off the opposite end of the hill, uh, roll down it. One guy gets set on fire. I don't think that was intentional, but um, fade to mourning. And uh, now Becker is on the ground, like clutching his stomach and calling out for help. Uh, I hope you took a look at your pin board because uh, one of them is about to get picked off. Um, so Jefferson hears uh, Becker writhing around on the ground, and uh, independent of Peter Weller, who is also in the process of waking up, he's like, oh, he's injured. I should go help him. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, he runs up on Becker, uh, apparently not taking any time to think about what was told to him like five minutes ago, <laughs> um, in, in screen time anyway. And uh, he goes up to Becker, and uh, Becker, uh, he gives him a big old hug. <laughs> yeah it it this felt like the end of um turbo kid a little bit if you remember well, i mean it helps that we're in like a quarry type yeah. setting too yeah, yeah. <laughs> um only difference is turbo kid was much more energetic and violent it's <laughs> very violent ah turbo kid's fun i hope they do make that sequel someday um but yeah uh, jefferson gets uh squeezed to death uh just as Joe is coming about and realizing, like, oh, man, like, injured soldier. Oh, wait. <laughs> so he gets up and he tries to run over to help uh, to no avail. And Becker's last moments are um, he quotes some more Shakespeare. He gets shot in the face. Um, we get a silly moment where he actually spits the bullet out that went into his cheek. Um, and then Peter Weller loads, like, a grenade round or, like, a rocket into his rifle. And we get... A slightly embarrassing effect of Becker being blown in half, and it's a really poor, really poorly blue screen shot. Um, you can tell that somebody like lovingly built like a puppet of some sort, um, but it just it sticks out like a sore thumb in terms of like the compositing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's the end of Becker. Uh, and then we get some 
then we get like a out of nowhere romance. <laughs> uh, pretty much everything involving Jessica, involving the female character in this movie, comes out of left field and is very awkward. Um, they have zero chemistry. I mean, would you would you agree with that? Yeah, they have no chemistry. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's just it's just Jessica and Joe at this point, and they're both despondent and. Joe makes it known that he knows where a hidden escape vehicle is. Um, apparently, all the all the commanders of the alliance have access to like an escape pod, essentially. Um, that's supposed to be like just the last ditch kind of thing. Which in this case, he just blew up his own base, and, and I'm pretty sure it's just him and the girl at this point. So it seems like appropriate at this point. Um, he also uh, takes Becker's tag because Becker was a screamer, obviously. And uh, he realizes that, you know, I don't even recognize the language that this that this chip is written in. So something's going on with the screamers where they're they're carving out their own path. Like, obviously, they're they're not working for anyone anymore. They're in it for themselves. To what end? Who knows? Um, but at this point, like Jessica asks to like see it, and he slices her palm with a knife, uh, presumably to check if she's a screamer. Uh, she bleeds like a like a human would, and uh, then they awkwardly make out. <laughs> it is awkward. Very, it's 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 bad bad mm-hmm. kissing, real bad kissing. Oh, it's a bad movie. Yeah, this is just all around bad. Yeah, it, it's a bad moment, and it makes it it almost makes it kind of funny because the camera like pulls back in like traditional like romance moment kind of swelling. Um, some know. lethal weapon, some lethal weapon saxophone kicks in. It doesn't. <laughs> um, but what, what makes it funny is that we get that shot, like that camera move that we all know and love. Um, but there's like the top half of a dead robot man at their feet mm-hmm. when they're doing it, and it's just really silly looking. Um, anyway, we we come to. So apparently these two have a have like some sort of emotional bond of some sort that was not communicated to us the viewer at all other than the fact that he's probably very 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 horny mm-hmm. um, and will take anything he gets <laughs> anything um, but we we set off towards this uh towards this escape pod together and we get some really lovely matte paintings along the way and we finally arrive at our destination, and it comes in the form of like a, a plaque on the ground that can read his his bio signature. He calls it, and it opens like a, a Batman, Batman ni- like nineteen sixties Batman style like secret passage in a in a rock face, um, and we descend down in there, and it's a really cool location with this massive pit uh, off to the side that houses like a small spacecraft. Um, I don't know if this is like a, a foundry or it kind of reminded me of the the finale of Alien Three, the the lead pit, the mm-hmm. lead works, um, minus the lead and the Charles S. Dutton, which mm-hmm. would make any movie better. Charles, just um, keep yelling. <laughs> just continue to be intimidating just and loud. <laughs> keep yelling, Charles. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we we start up all the machines in here, and Jessica absentmindedly gets on an elevator, which her down into the area with the spacecraft uh, meanwhile Peter Weller sets about like trying to move a crane out of the way and we get uh, a very poorly staged action sequence 
Um, oh, I stopped watching as soon as I saw Chuck. I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. Um, yeah, I I didn't I didn't need this. Mm-mm. So so Chuck shows up, but it's it's very awkward in that Chuck is speaking in Becker's voice, and has his uh, teardrop tattoos. So I think it's strongly implied that this is supposed to be Becker or a like just a Becker model screamer uh, that is wearing Chuck's face or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very clumsily conveyed through uh, just like James like James Bond villain uh, style exposition on the part of the villain mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as he's trying to kill the hero but doing a very shitty job of it. And yeah, we have a kind of like a non-fight. This is just like two old guys like messing around on a crane and sometimes they hit each other <laughs> uh but yeah becker chuck exposits that the uh, his origin his original face was actually that of the neb commander so it's basically the screamers have been doing this shit for a while um they've been assuming human form for a minute now um long story short uh becker chuck uh, gets electrocuted to death and uh, he falls under like a laser beam and gets disintegrated and uh the final sequence in the movie is uh basically we we get the spacecraft the eev the emergency escape vehicle all ready to go however we discover that it is a one-seater um so we have our typical uh hero moment where peter weller is like no you gotta go <laughs> like no you gotta get on you gotta go <laughs> and uh basically like it's a non-argument where he's like no you're getting on the thing and you're going back to earth and then out of nowhere another jessica shows up uh i was not expecting that and she introduces herself like verbatim saying many of the same things that she did in her introduction earlier in the film um, so I guess we're supposed to understand that this is just a model of Screamer, that there are many Jessicas, just as there are many Davids and presumably many Beckers. Um, but yeah, uh, the two Jessicas have at it, uh, because apparently Jessica Prime had like developed a conscience or an attachment mm. to Joe. Um, and yeah, we get some awkward, clumsy fighting. That's for fucking sure. Um, this <laughs> This is not good fighting. This is what four years prior to the matrix yeah so standards were not in place just yet like this was this was acceptable for 1995 why does philip k dick have a thing for robot women because it's uh a a dude in blade runner is like falling in love with a uh with an android here we've got a dude who's infatuated with an android was his wife just like dead behind the eyes or something like (laughs) i don't know something weird I can't speak for him, but what I got from this particular story, not so much thinking about Blade Runner, but what I got from this story is that um, the the Jessica Screamer was designed in such a way as to like manipulate like the the primal instincts of a typical male, I guess. Because, mm. like I said, she she asks to go to Earth as she's taking her top off. Yeah, yeah. She, she's she's manipulating him from from that point on um so maybe it's maybe it's that kind of thing where like maybe he's maybe he's fascinated by like gender dynamics in that way where it's like the the sexes have different weapons they can use against each other um just in terms of like the base toolkit that a lot of a lot of people of each gender receive yeah and sean young like very much play up the eyes like i don't know that there's she has a look about her in that movie 
Yeah, uh, I mean, especially in the director's cut and whatnot, where they have the the cat's eye effect. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that effect. It's really I'm, good. Yeah, I'm glad that's there. Like the, I'm glad the movie exists. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I'll I'll say this much about Blade Runner. Um, I've never wanted wanted to love a movie more than Blade Runner. Hmm. I love parts of it, but in terms of my overall engagement with the story and the characters, it's just never gotten me. It's a little more art house feeling, like the actual execution itself, especially like um, Rucker Hauer and uh, oh, he's the Dar- best part of it. He is, but their their thread. I don't know. It, it's got more of an art house feel to it. It's a it's a look and a feel movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I respect both of those elements of it. I have the utmost respect for both of those elements for it. But in terms of engaging me with an entertainment piece or a character piece, just never resonates with me on that level. Right? Yeah. It's it's like walking through a museum for me. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like, oh yeah, that was nice. But in terms of like I don't know, like getting swept up in, in the dynamics and, and the the functions of that particular universe don't really care yeah, <laughs> um, understandable but but to look at it like a work of art just like as a painting and just sit down and like take in the pretty images fuck yes mm. yeah and the evangelist score fuck yes i'm there for it but yeah for me it's always going to be that though where it's just like i keep watching it every couple years i keep watching it and i'm just like man i want so badly to <laughs> love this i just don't <laughs> but it is what it is um Anyway, uh, yeah, we have an awkward fight between the two Jessicas, and uh, I thought we were gonna, I thought we were gonna get downright embarrassing with this movie, where uh, the one Jessica, the second one that arrives, uh, she's wearing a helmet that comes off partway through the fight, and I was like, oh my god, are we gonna do the which one do I shoot moment? <laughs> we don't, thankfully. <laughs> and I was like, oh fuck, are we gonna do that? But uh, no, evil Jessica, who makes it known that she's evil Jessica by like smiling when she kills good jessica like she puts it she she arnold schwarzenegger's uh uh bill paxton mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, she she terminators bill paxton with her fist um and uh she turns her attention to joe and funny enough he doesn't do a damn thing to get rid of her like the the eev uh does like an engine test and turns on its thrusters and she like screams at him and it hurts him like it causes his nose to bleed and he looks uncomfortable uh but he does nothing to stop her just the the thing kills the the blast of the thrusters kills kills her for him so it's like oh i guess he didn't need to be here at all <laughs> but anyway uh he says his goodbyes to good jessica and we get probably the most embarrassing line in the whole movie um i did like I did like what he said to her, though. He says, well, you're coming up in the world. You've learned how to kill each other now. And I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. It's like <laughs> got so advanced to the point that you're starting to, like, fight with each other. <laughs> um, but uh, the embarrassing line, though, is her dying and saying, I learned something else, too. I learned to love. <laughs> oh, that's bad. It's like, oh, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> it's like, um, anyway, the finale of the movie is he gets into the EEV, uh, and the launch sequence looks like a cinematic from a PlayStation 1 game. Mm. Um, it's, it's again, charmingly bad, because like, I know this was the best they could do, 
And it's not bad for 1995, but it's like, man, I was playing video games that looked like this in 1995. Um, and then uh, we get a final lovely uh, snowy matte painting of it taking off and out of the atmosphere. And the last shots of the movie are a POV of him uh, taking off the tag from his wrist and uh, throwing it into the corner of the EEV where the bear that he... <laughs> Apparently, he likes huffing that bear, so he kept it along with him the whole journey. Uh, he throws the tag next to the bear, and in that, that strobe slow motion that you and I both don't like, uh, the bear starts moving, like strongly implying that it is also a screamer. Um, and we get like a, almost sounds like a, a lullaby kind of like sinister tune that plays over that sequence. And uh, last shot is the EEV zooming through the cosmos and presumably back to earth fade to black credits um uh needs to be said there is an alt there are like alternate endings for this movie um not that it really matters but one i think was uh peter weller launches the eev and we see it go off into space and everything and then we cut back to him and he's still on the planet because he like actually kind of works with his character because he has a general disdain for earth um, he doesn't seem to like it at all. So the alternate ending was he just decides to stay. Um, and I, I'm not sure if Jessica lives in that ending or not, but point is, like, he has his chance to, to get out of here, and he just doesn't. Um, but, yeah, that was Screamers. And Kyle's face is telling me all I need to know about Screamers. <laughs> it was awful. Uh, it was more engaging than crossing the line, but not by much. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, we do have a, a little bit of a streak of me picking stinkers for the show. Um, fortunately, we do seem to get decent conversations out of them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Buckaroo Banzai. Hopefully that picks up my spirits, because this was, this was bad. Yeah, Buckaroo Banzai um, is supposed to be a cult classic. Um, it, is, it is going to be a mutual catching up, as I have not seen it. Uh, however, I know it by reputation. And it features Jeff Goldblum wearing a cowboy outfit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> it's like, I'm down for that. And at the very least, I'm sure it will have a sense of energy to it. Um, thankfully, so we have yet yeah. Thankfully, we have yet to encounter a bad uh, Peter Weller performance for the most part. Mm -hmm. He seems to be a charismatic enough actor that even in a bad movie like Screamers, he can... He stands he can, out. Yeah, he can still do something with the material. And it needs to be said... I got the sense from his performance of this movie that he actually gave a shit. Because um, to me, that's the worst kind of performance. Is mm -hmm. like seeing someone dead behind the eyes on the set where it's like, oh, he doesn't want to be there. But this one, it's like, you know, he's he's there for it. It's just not very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, that being said, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and we'll catch you next time. Yeah.